0: You're listening to Gilders Ford Radio, broadcasting live across the Sump, the high Outlands, and the far reaches of the Ash Lake. Hey everyone, welcome to Gilders Radio, broadcasting live deep from the heart of Gilders notorious Eastgate docks. I'm Lee, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dixie, Roscoe, Lawrence, and Gaz. In this episode, we're discussing the overwhelming community response to our recent Patreon launch, which has been truly humbling. We'll be getting a detailed lowdown on all the goings-on with the Hive Dominion tool, along with a growing backlog of community-driven features. And we'll be discussing some of the details for our next upcoming campaign. Some, but not all of them. Spoilers! And we've got a special guest who's braved the arduous journey between Hive Settlements to come parlay with GFR. It's a packed episode, so stop polishing that gun and join us. Greetings listeners, GFR is here again and we're really glad to be back and broadcasting. Time to introduce everyone. Say hello Lawrence hello say hello dixie good evening say hello roscoe hello my loves say hello lee hello lee well unfortunately gaz can't be with us tonight but we have a special guest to fill in for him we're honored uh, to welcome one of our community members and an early contributor to the stack of whack adam smith from the watford wargames club say hello adam
1: uh, hi there everyone
0: it's great to have you on the show um And uh, welcome, and we're going to look forward to talking to you a bit later on. But we've been blown away by the community response to our last episode and the launch of the Patreon. Uh, Many of you have signed up, and we're really humbled for those that have. But um, Ross, you're going to take us through the particulars of that. Absolutely. So
2: it's been, well, nigh on a month since we launched the Patreon. Um, As we stressed in the previous episode, we will not be charging for Guildersfield Radio. It will continue to be completely free. But we are incredibly uh, touched with the outpouring of support from the community. So possibly for the first and last time, I am going to zoom through and give a shout out to all of the Patreons that have very kindly put their money towards propping up this ramshackle podcast so a massive yeah. shout out to eddie turner of course from Guildford games club Harry, bob submariner ben mark ian andrew matt xavier joe christian janner jason my angus lee of Guildford games club simon stephen dave colm rob christopher schnobbutz matt that right one punch orlock otherwise known as tom Aaron, Lucas, the Red Wolf, and Joe. Thank you very much to each and every one of you for putting your donations into the Guildford Radio coffers. Yes, and to
0: good use already because we've now properly subscribed to everything, so we're not kind of um, having
2: problems on that front. So again. Phenomenal! Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And for those listeners who haven't checked out the Patreon, even if you'd like to sign up as a free member, so there is an absolutely free option, you will have access to all of our previous unofficial community supplements and downloads, including most recently the Guildersford Book of Law. Or oh, what else have we got? Guildersford poster printable set, Lawrence's uh, Sky Pattern Ridge Scrambler STL and rules. What else, gents? I've got some stuff coming, but that'll be next
3: month. There's some scenarios up there as well, I believe.
0: Yes, there right? are the stacks of whack. We're going to be we're going to be generating the stacks of whack and putting them out for communities for people to uh, download at their peril and try, assuming
2: their arbitrators will actually let them get away with that. And uh, and last but no means least, of course, the back to basics campaign supplement is up there as well. Yes,
0: uh, Dixie, we're going to be we're going to hopefully at some point get all the um, our campaign supplements put up there. That's the plan, right?
4: That, that is the plan. Yes. So there's quite a lot of them, so it might take yes. a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fair enough.
2: If you'd like to check out the Patreon, you can head over to our GuildersFord Radio link tree or directly to patreon.com forward slash, you've guessed it, GuildersFord Radio. Haha, fantastic. Right, so uh, plugs over and done with. Uh, how is everyone? How's the
3: gaming month been? All good, I hope? Pretty quiet, actually. We haven't, haven't uh, you know, we're in between campaigns, so we haven't done a huge amount. So I've been uh, busy prepping new gangs and... Uh, you threw a spanner in the works at me the other week when you kind of shared with me uh, an ideas for vehicles. I'm like, oh, we're doing vehicles. Oh, I need to come up with a new, a new idea now. <laughs> well, when, when I talk about the campaign a little later,
0: it might change again, but then we'll, we'll get to that.
3: Okay, fair enough. Well, I'm hoping not vehicles because uh, my original idea <laughs> works less well with vehicles. Right. Uh, so I might end up doing something else if we need to do vehicles, which is uh, that's all right. I'll just put that one in the, my back pocket. I'll yeah. come back to my muties in the future, but if not... It will be mutie time, and I'm really looking forward to that. So,
4: awesome. D- Dixie's been playing with Zulus, and that is not a euphemism for anything. <laughs> it's not. Now, I've uh, in between campaigns, I like to go back down to my sort of historical uh, gaming uh, as a as a bit of a break from Necromunda. But I am very busy in the background working on some several sort of campaign documents and Guildford Radio related and Guildford related documentation. So, keep an eye open.
2: Yeah. And you, Dixie was good enough to actually give me an intro game to uh, was it We Might Be Kings. Uh, the men who would be kings. The men who would be kings. So I, I dipped my toes in a bit of historical, um, and unusually, I've had two two gaming weeks on the trot actually because uh, this Monday just gone, um, I gave Lee's new allied gangs uh, Ooh, their sports. first their first foray uh, along with Callum, our, our previous guest. So, I mean, we'll touch on those a bit more later, but it was it was good fun. It was pretty closely, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, yes, it was. I mean, it was the first outing of that, and we'll, unlike, we'll explain what that is again a bit later, not too much foreshadowing, but um, y- uh, you were nowhere near as whack as I thought you might be. So um, that was def- definitely, definitely an interesting thing, and it needs a little bit more uh, testing. But again, that's coming up. But, and and Adam, what have you been doing?
1: Um, I've actually made a start on my Goliath biker gang for the Ash Wastes. Ah. Uh, One of the chaps at my club, um, he ordered loads of the um, Raging Heroes... Uh, Jailbirds motorcycles that he's oh Birds yeah okay.
3: oh I do love those models they yeah. are good today, yeah.
1: so um I was like yeah yeah you you can have like all the the kind of super bike style I'll have like the big Harley Davidson type bikes and we'll sort of reenact uh the the big bike fight scene um at the start of the Akira movie oh <laughs> says, yeah
0: yeah, okay. yeah now that's that is pretty tasty I like that
1: yeah and then he said to me what's Akira oh said, right. oh yeah. I tell you he's
3: no longer a friend right.
0: No, yeah. just that's an ed- education opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> oh, Akira, that takes me back. That those Akira and Fist of the North Star were my two like go-to uh, anime when I was at school, and I
1: I love both of those movies. I need to go watch. Per-
3: Perfect Blue was the other good one. Oh, that was good. Oh, I've got to give a,
1: a shout-out for Cyber City Oedo on the anime front, but the UK version, because that's got the awesome 80s soundtrack. <laughs> I don't think, I think I'll have to add. I haven't watched that. I've sent.
0: Okay, that will be a little note there to myself. Go and watch some of that.
3: Yes. I, I have to admit, I was recently uh, watching the... Um live action Ghost in the Shell. You know, um, I was about to say exactly the, the same thing. For, for the most part, I, di- I dislike it, except for the um, the chase scene through the through the ghetto and into the water where uh, I then had to kind of play the original frame for frame next to it because it's yeah. such a piece of artwork in the original mm-hmm. that they had no choice but to copy it. Yes. Um, and that is just amazing. And, yeah. you know, actually that, that again, is a, a, a bit that's kind of subconsciously gone into my Necromunda kind of brain where, you know, that's what Necronda looks like, except there's Mm -hmm. no sky.
0: I mean the things. I I mean, same thing. I love the visual style. I mean, I I like that. I love the sort of the cityscapes with all the very cyberpunk uh, kind of holograms, Blade Runner holograms, that kind of thing. And you know, to go back to models, I love the. If people don't know the Unit Nine models that you get, that are like super kind of anime cyberpunk, uh, very sort of uh, stylized. And I and I always look at those models and think, oh, there's a Necromunda gang in there somewhere.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think they, they, you could definitely pull off an issue gang with it, and maybe a Goliath with some of them.
0: Yeah, I just, I really like, I really yeah. like that stuff, and I just like, I keep toying, I keep long on my mini factory, going, mm, I should buy some of these. I haven't done it, but I'm like, oh, there's definitely a gang in there somewhere. But anyway, enough enough diversions Lawrence we we need to talk about the Hive Dominion update all the the work that you've been beavering away and not really uh, I've not actually had a chance to look at it too much but tell us what's been going on and how's Hive Dominion going
3: um it's it's going okay um I've had some I've had some feedback which is great and it's always good to hear people's opinions on what you've done um I think probably the biggest thing that I've heard from people is a little bit of a misunderstanding as to kind of um you know how do I get in there and play with it when it's just me. And right. um, I, I think there's a slight misunderstanding of what I'm trying to achieve there. And which tells me I probably not put enough emphasis on the other side of it, which um, yeah. I think okay. I'm going to spend some time doing. Yeah. But the uh, the first thing I, I did was, you know, people obviously wanted to go and have a look. So um, in the update that's just gone out, which I say it's just gone up, we it's it's got kind of modern web development tools on this. So actually every time I commit a change, it goes out straight away. That I, I only sing and dance about it every now and then. Yeah. Um, but in the latest update, we've got uh, a, like a sandbox mode feature. So at least you can kind of get your way through the oh, that's cool. um, get past the player selection screen without actually having to have real players. Um, and that way you can go and kind of put together your, your little domes, however you see fit although you can't start it. And the the reason I've kind of done that is to at least get people to see, okay, this is what the tool does in terms of laying out my campaign. Yeah. Um, and I think probably what I will end up doing is putting some kind of um, pre-made campaign onto people's kind of
2: account, That's a good
3: idea. So sort of locked down, almost like kind of a, a tour mode, just to kind yeah. of show off the features. But uh, I think for me, the, the biggest thing, really, and the reason why I've done this in the first place, the whole purpose for the act to exist in the first place is to re- rebuild that, that that communication between players and arbitrator. So the the whole idea really was to make this as easy as possible for arbitrators to, to run a campaign because, let's face it, it's hard work. And h- most of that hard work is all in trying to get information out of players. Um, and anyone who's done it so I'm sure Dixie you can lean in and absolutely confirm this is a thing Adam you probably have some experience here too Lee you're about to find out if you haven't yeah already. exactly
0: and I'm making it very hard for myself about what I'm asking people to keep track of so <laughs> I'm taking notes
3: <laughs> yeah just in you know the, the the default campaign there's like four or five pieces of information minimum you need yeah. from players and if you don't get it things start to break down yeah and you know some players might think well oh, actually I should have won that but you know because they didn't give the information to the arbitrator you know they're they're ranked very low because yes. they failed to give the information I think we last time we talked about in particular keeping track of out of actions um and, and one thing I often find funny is some people confuse out of actions with kills of course well, killers sixty six yeah. yes true. which is very actually very rare um so <laughs> I've, I've I've seen but some you, campaigns you where some that, players like... have given like three in the whole campaign although yes okay sometimes it can go wildly wrong <laughs> it's interesting
0: actually because i i use in in the the campaign pack that i'm putting together i use that word kill And of course ross uh, when we were going through the proofreading he he sort of mentioned the fact that actually that's not a word that's actually used like it's not kind of an official wording and so it's that kind right. of killed versus out of action versus what you know kind of like that sort of thing so yeah it's a good point
3: yeah let like, say so the whole idea really is to try and get that engagement back and obviously the most easy way to do that is make the tool enticing to use yeah and hence visually appealing um which obviously was my kind of number one goal and hopefully everybody agrees i've I've achieved that but if not you know put some more work in there but otherwise what i'm next kind of the next step and i'm going to spend some time over christmas um i've got a little bit of time off so i can focus on some of this stuff, yeah. I want to try and get some encouragement to get the players to submit some of their own statistics um, as well as battle reports, maybe photographs um, and potentially, you know, essentially build like a, a digital almost like digital record a, a digital keepsake of their campaign as they've gone so, you know, at the end of it they've got something to show for either their success or pitiful failure <laughs> So, yeah, no, those are the ideas I've got so far. So kind of the idea of, you know, encouraging a little bit of creative writing, either in terms of just blow-by-blow battle report or maybe even actually trying to get some prompts for, you know, creative writing. I'm toying with the ideas of of putting some features in there to assist in building, like, the uh, weekly newsletters that many groups have done. You know, we've recently started doing and putting a lot more focus in, you know, and, and you know, that will help other groups build up this resource that we have without putting nearly so much effort in that we have to. You know, we've we've found these things work great, but they take huge amounts of, you know, man hours. Mm -hmm. Um and clearly we've got no life and we've got the time to spend doing it. But, you know, not everybody needs to. So yeah.
0: I'd say, you know, it's not it's not that we've got no life. It's just I think it's become very we're quite used to doing it. And actually now it is there's not as much effort as like you say, if someone's starting out fresh or not as familiar as doing it, then it's going to be much harder than there's almost like muscle memory, especially for, for Dixie. I,
4: I would suspect it is almost muscle memory. But, you know, but it, it becomes very easy to sort of find ways of padding out a newsletter if you're low on content. Um yeah. because you've got twenty
3: years worth of newsletters you can draw on to do that. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. But you know, would it not be better if, you know, like every single one of your players were kind of prompted every week and say, Hey, hey, you've just literally you've just finished a game. Do you think you could just fill out this form and, and, and tell me exactly what I need? And it's not like you have to then remember what it is that you're arbitrating. Yeah, arbitrator yeah no, for sure. The form outright tells you you need to give me this, 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 and this. Actually. I've just, I've just had a, I've just had a really good
4: idea of something you could incorporate, but I'll, I'll talk to you about that offline because it, it, if it would work, it would be quite exciting.
3: <laughs> I've got the backlog open, mate. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they so, say, you know, if at the same time that you're doing that, it says, "Cool, okay." Do you want to tell us a bit about the game? Tell us what happened give us give us a bit of write-up and okay yes you might let the player skip it say oh cool well also while you're at it do you want to share some pictures with the rest of the group and again you know i'm just encapsulating just the same things that happen in our group every week every week i get our arbitrator dixie usually saying right guys come on give me a give me your results give me your results i need them if you don't give them to me you're not going to be recorded and you know it it will be for nothing every week you get Roscoe going cool. Where's
2: your pictures? Yeah, I was just about to say. Yeah, constantly nagging fuel for the Guildersford Radio
3: socials, of course. Yeah, you know whoever's doing the uh, doing the, the article, and then I say, interestingly, and I, and I love this one from the last time. Who was writing up the articles? I can't remember now. Uh, was it Gareth? Uh, yeah. Gareth uh, was offering ten creds, literally in-game ten creds for uh, article submissions. I, I love that mate, mechanism um and i'm even tempted to build it into the tool as a as a incentive you know fill this out and get 10 credits and just allow the arbitrator to turn it on yeah so so that's that's kind of the sort of stuff that i'm thinking about and 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 looking at working on next but of course because this is a a community engagement thing what i really want to do is hear from the players and the arbitrators who are actually interested in using this tool what is it you actually need um, you know, so you know, I've had a, a few people reach out to me by email and I promise you I do actually respond to them. Um so if you've got some ideas or would like to engage with me on the subject, drop me an email. It's admin at hive dominion.co.uk. Um it would be really, really good to hear from players. And I say I've got I have to admit, I've got one in my inbox at the moment which I'm uh sitting on and I I hope to hope to respond to uh kind of over the weekend. I don't want to kind of fob you off and, and give you uh, a a, a short answer, but nonetheless, this one came from Seattle. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. No, which, as I said, I've had some good feedback. Um, I just wonder, as Adam, have you had a chance to have a look at the Hive Dominion
1: tool? Um, I haven't had a chance yet because work has been crazy. Um, However, I was going to make a suggestion for Lawrence because um, of of trying to get players to sort of give you more information. Um, We actually have an extra phase at the Watford War Games Club, when playing Necromunda, which has been nicknamed the Instagram phase, which is at the, of- <laughs> <I love> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> at the end of each at the end of each round, both players seem to take one photo of the proceedings, um, and then all their photos seem to get uploaded on mass later into our Facebook chat. Ah, nice. And it, are yeah. there any any
0: benefits to to said phase, or just they're expected to do it?
1: Um, <laughs> it started as a joke, but it carried on. <laughs>
0: I, I can't. I can't pretend I'm not inspired. I'll be. No, it's a, it's a really good <laughs> idea. Actually, I mean, it's, I, I'm kind of wondering if there's some sort of incentive to do it. You know, kind of best photo or best whatever gets x number of experience or or something like that. Because then it really gets that kind of. Yeah, I, I like the idea.
3: Yeah. yeah. No, you know what? Actually, there, there's a couple of things that have been on my list along those sorts of lines. So one one of them has been to start introducing triumphs other than the book ones, and one of the triumphs that I was gonna, kind of kind of had kind of stashed away that the arbitrators could choose to turn on was best photography or, you know, best pick. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't come up with a good name for it yet, but uh, um, so again, you know, another looking for ideas that kind of engage people as best as, as best we can. Certainly um, a custom triumphs tool would be really useful
2: because that's, that certainly aligns with some of Dixie's previous campaigns, doesn't it? Dixie, you've, you've had your own custom um, uh, rewards for ender campaign. Mm.
4: yeah I, I generally try and um theme them based on you know the narrative of the camp that particular campaign
3: yeah yeah I mean I do have to be mindful that you know what we do isn't what everybody does so what I've been trying to do is initially stick to the book um but then kind of start to introduce more and more customization options but of course you know while it's a new tool the more the more a menu there is there the more it's going to off put new arbitrators coming in seeing all these things they could turn on without necessarily knowing what they do so i I kind of want to introduce these things slowly over time but it's the player engagement bit that's that's got to be right first i think i suppose Um, it's that
0: um it's that thing where you have like basic and advanced mode and whenever you have a basic and advanced mode what's the first thing everybody does put it into advanced mode mode.
3: (laughs) (laughs) yes i say um you know uh so at the moment i'm finding most people sitting there going call this this editor seems to be quite difficult to kind of get our heads around especially adding players um which means I, I probably already got it on the on the more advanced side it's probably not quite simple enough um which is fair enough it's, i i i was hoping it would, would be simple enough but I, i'm not sure it necessarily is um so i may have to do a little bit more work on there and so i've 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 tried as a first instance just adding some more instructions because um, you know, I'm a web developer. I know what the what the the norms are, and you know, I'm not the I'm not the run of the mill user anymore. So, yeah, I've tried, I've tried adding some more kind of textual prompts just to say what the screen is intended for, um, yeah. and see if that helps. But uh, again, you know, as users, if if it's not working, if it, if it doesn't make sense to you, let me know, and and maybe we'll I'll have to look at redesigning some of those screens in a a more effective way. Some of them can get quite noisy, especially when you're kind of adding or removing things. But yeah, no, and uh, I say I've also spent some time making sure it works on every browser and you know all of the modern ones. It does, even Firefox, which is um, quite quite impressive. Well, I'm Um, I'm using it in Firefox at the moment, and it's absolutely fine. Yes, um, obviously, don't try and use it in anything legacy. It certainly won't work in IE. But Chrome, Chrome, and Edge, you know, they're 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 perfectly fine these days.
0: Aren't they the same? Are they just Chromium but with a different skin on the top?
3: Basically, yeah. Yeah, they they all all but all are these days except firefox really or um opera opera yeah but again that's got like 2% market share so no
0: it's just it's <laughs> interesting i've watched a couple of youtube uh like uh, like tech youtubers recently and they've sort of ta- they've talked or extolled the virtues of opera and it's kind of it's obviously making a comeback they've done quite a lot of things in the, not that there's necessarily lots of users but it just it's come up mm-hmm. in the meta uh, i guess quite a bit in in what i've watched recently
3: yeah, I say. Ultimately, you know, we with the uh, all the tooling for this sort of stuff sticks to the the standards, which over the past kind of decade have gotten much stricter. Yeah, um, and so you know, it's very much on the on the web browser. And we're kind of veering off topic here now into into my real life job. But um, yeah, what, what 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 I'm trying to really do is. You know, build a, a tool that people can use. So it needs to be kind of it needs to be accessible as as, as much as possible. But as I said, the, my big emphasis on the moment is about kind of connecting the arbitrators to their players and getting basically all the information out of their players. Because quite frankly, the arbitrators cannot be over everything.
4: Yeah, no, it's really difficult to stay on top of the games and the campaign as it
3: is. I want to make those incentives for the players to get involved. Mm-hmm. as fun as possible as enticing as possible um and so yeah anyone with any any ideas on on what more i can do there that's my that's my next release basically
0: so what's i mean obviously you know you've got a backlog of things that you want to do but in terms of i mean you know looking at it we've got a lot of the uh, the tiles that are familiar to the underhive are you, are there, what are the plans kind of in terms of sneaky peeks that you're prepared, not, not too many spoilers, but, you know, what are your broad brush plans going forward? Um, have you got kind of a, a stop date that things that are not going to be included or are you kind of relatively open to what the next steps are?
3: As I said, I think my next steps are all going to be probably in campaign mode now. Yeah. Kind of how how do we get the, the players more involved? Yeah. Um, So, I mean, interestingly, one of the things that stopped me from getting this in the first release was Amazon was being a little bit awkward with my email sending limits. Um, Thankfully, they have uh, accepted that this is acceptable. Um, So, you know, I can now, you know, when... And again, interestingly, I've had a few comments saying, you know, why do you ask for the time of the game? That seems really pedantic, but there's some thought to this because an hour and a half later... I'm going to email people saying you should have just finished this game how did it go do you want to give us the results you know just as that prompt so you don't have to even go looking for the website it just says cool do you just want to put your pro- result in
0: yeah so that's a nice a nice thing even if it's you know an hour and a half might you know you know some games can go a lot longer than that but if you've got that email that just goes, click the link, ready to go, that's a nice thing to have, and it's easy, you know. Some people, I myself, I'm, I'm guilty of organising my life via one well, of my unread emails, right? So I think that's a, that's a nice touch, actually.
3: Yeah, and you know, it's, it's just lots of things like that. So you know, if I don't capture the information, like I'll well, do that. Um, so I, I want to, as I say, I really want to get that sort of thing in next. Um, as I said, at some point, I am going to look at a two tier system. In terms of uh, features, um, and use something like Patreon, I I suspect. Um, And the reason that being is is because you know if it starts to take off, in order to keep it going, some people will need to kind of pay for it. I hate to say that, but unfortunately, that's the reality of the world. Um, But what I intend to do then is is for those people to to offer a lot more advanced options. So at that point, I will uh, see if maybe we can get some more uh, territories in there. Um, Again, I've uh, been having some conversations with Popov about potentially doing a bit more of of that in the future, potentially more different campaign modes, especially those in the book. But for example, um, one of the ones I'm looking at, which um, is quite fun, is the kind of the no man's land mode where you can't see what what the territories are until you fight over the game, if that makes sense. So every time you kind of explore a new territory, it becomes revealed. Fog of War kind of thing. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm definitely looking into that. Whether that, which side of the tier that sits on, I think,
0: you know. See, that's, that's interesting actually, because I've I've been playing a lot of Frosthaven with a friend of mine and, and we, we started out by playing the Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion in the book, which which, you know, if for those of you that know Gloomhaven or other dungeon crawlers, you know, you have to set the tiles out and uh and and obviously you get to a certain point and you don't know what's beyond the door and it's all kind of fog of war. The the Jaws of the Lion book, for those that don't know, it's all set out in the in, in the in the kind of the quick start books that you use rather than the tiles. And it's really interesting how in the community it's polar. Where some people love it because it's super quick to set up and it's super easy to play because obviously all on the tabletop, but other people really don't like it because oh no 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 because I don't want to know what's coming and I don't want to know I don't want to be able to plan for the what's in the next room and all these kinds of things. So that (laughs) that kind of difference between like the idea of fog of war. I I I mean, having done both, I really I kind of like it and I think that sort of thing for Necromunda is would be really interesting actually.
3: I mean, I say it's actually one of the ones written in the book Um, and. One of the ones, I mean, I particularly like it because it means that not everybody can race for the genitorium first because quite frankly, yeah. <laughs> what everybody bloody wants. The ability to turn the lights off is just so powerful. Yeah. Um You know, and it also, you know, removes some of those arguments on the first day. that, like, no, I challenged that before you did, you know. Yes. It, it, if if your group might descend into that, I'm, I would recommend maybe give that campaign mod a try. Yeah. Um but um, yeah, I'm certainly going to go through the the rulebook and look at how the tool would support every single one of the um, kind of variants listed there. And to be fair, it already does a lot of them because a lot of them are just kind of like, for example, there's there's an example in there that kind of ran a bit like the N95 campaign did where mm-hmm. they kind of just limited su- some access to the trading post and things like that, which doesn't really need a change to the tool. Yeah but what I might do is start just saying well if you turn these things on it just gives more instructions to the players or you know potentially even there's even the options there in the future to do things like um, custom trading posts you know put yeah, your cool. own items on the trading post maybe specify your own prices so for example if you're finding that some partic- particular piece of equipment <coughs> suspenders I thought you were going to say that um, <laughs> needed to be uh, cost, needed to be recosted you know maybe maybe go for that uh, ablated overlay i'm looking at you um you know it, it gives arbitrators a, a a common place to do that so again you know just there's lots adding, of adding adding it. custom items as well yeah yep yep um obviously it goes without saying at some point custom territories will be coming in here um obviously the challenge with that one is which tile do you use um see there are, there are 26 tiles that you can go and use already uh but you know, some of them are very, very obviously the doc and etc. Yeah. So um, yeah, so lots, lots I can do. It's very much a case of kind of I know what needs to come next. It's definitely the player engagement piece because that's evidence from from what I'm hearing from people's feedback is well, why why would I get my players involved in this? It seems painful for price. them in order for me to get me to get the campaign even set up. I guess it's it's
2: time for us to throw down the gauntlet a little bit out there to 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 a one or more brave arbitrators who who'd like to give uh, give the playtest, yeah, give it give it a proper run through, and um and give us that valuable feedback that we're we're so keen to hear from. See, I would say I would I would do that for my campaign, but unfortunately, it's not
0: going to work. So, but so yeah, we'd love I we would love to hear. I think Ross um, uh, Lawrence would love to hear uh, it, but I I think um it would be great. Adam
1: yeah um I was just gonna say Lawrence um it sounds wonderful that you've dived into all the complexity and all these other options um it's quite interesting because I'm, I'm, we'll probably talk about this in, a little bit later um, I've gone for a more streamlined approach in terms of my campaigns with with my players where we yeah we do roll randomly to see what Um, territories you get. One thing I was going to suggest was um, maybe it might be a good idea on this platform you've got if there's a couple of sort of like straight out of the box campaigns that people can just take up and run with where they don't have to dive into all this stuff.
3: Yeah, that's really interesting and it it was actually part of the original design. Um, The wizard or the kind of generating tool, it only really asks you who your players are. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it kind of from your players, it obviously knows how many players you've got and therefore how big a campaign you need, how many territories you need according to the book. And from that, there's just a button click and it will essentially perform all of that kind of deck building stuff that the book tells you to do behind the scenes and it just does it for you. Um, so, for example, you know if you've got an Escher gang, a Goliath gang, a Vansar gang, it will make sure that the relevant territories are in that deck and, and make sure that each one is drawn so that, that some of those territories are in the campaign and then it will lay it all out for you. And well, yes, there are options to kind of change all of that if you want to it in reality, aside from telling the tool who your players are and what gangs they're playing, mm-hmm. it's two button presses. Um, and so I have tried to keep it as streamlined as possible, but the, the big problem with this is um in order for the campaigns to work nicely, you do have to have the right territories for the right gangs and the right number of territories for the right gangs. Um, so it does—you you do need to tell the tool who who's playing what. Um, but that said, you know, potentially I, we could look at um, creating like a, a four-player out-of-the-box campaign with one Escher, one Vansar, one Goliath. You know, we yeah. could do that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I—I I, I wonder, you know, how useful that is. I think in reality you do need to kind of say who your players are. Um, and interestingly, that has been, or has appeared to be most players' big put-off. So again, which is why I'm trying to really drum up that the, the engagement piece from the other side, uh, from the you know the players rather than the arbitrator, so that the players are engaged to be on the tool as well. We should just remind everyone that if you'd like to the Hive
2: Dominion uh, app that Lawrence has created, head over to our Linktree, linktree.com forward slash Guildersford radio or you can find hive dominion at hivedominion.co.uk.
0: i mean it's a perfect segue actually because adam you're asking those questions is <laughs> this is i think this is the perfect segue to introduce you well welcome first of all welcome once again and tell oh, us about what you. what you're doing with Watford war games club and and uh, I, I do i do want to get onto stack of whack but we'll do that a little later but you know um tell us about
1: what you get on to uh, get up to with uh, with watford okay so watford war games club um, well first of all, I want to thank you guys and just say look, it's it's all your fault that Necromunda became so successful at Watford War Games Club.
0: Fantastic. We'd like to hear that. Yep.
1: <laughs> so I I ended up working in Watford, um, and I went to the the the, the the War Games Club, as I found it, and in its post-lockdown state, it was basically just dying on its ass. It just didn't have enough people turning up, etc. Um, I'd always felt very passionately about Necromunda for years, um, and it actually took me three months to get a game with somebody to play Necromunda with me at the club. Um, but I was determined to make it work. So for the first year, in I started with like virtually no players. Um, it took me a year to build a big enough pool of players for a campaign, and I did lots of little fun games and everything else. My Zone Mortalis setup, my Goliath Gang, and boring models here, there, and some people bought gangs and some people didn't, but whatever. Um, it was around Christmas time last year. I was pra- playing at my friend David's house because he's friends with Cal, who we sent to your club um, yeah. <laughs> when we met yeah. him at Salute. And yeah. um, I've been listening to Guildersford Radio and I'd listened to how Dixie had said about how he just does like the standard um, campaign structure. Everyone plays the same mission. And I was like, okay, perfect, streamlined, let's give this a go. Um, So after sort of letting the players sort of casually play and everything else, I came back in, the the, the Watford club after a year was still sort of struggling at this point. And I, I, because i was uh, involved in the committee at this point i thought it's going to shut down it's not going to work so let's have the seven week dominion campaign with the downtime in the middle as my sort of final fantasy just do the best i can and that's probably going to be it sure yeah because i had flaky players and all sorts and i said right guys it's going to happen it's a seven week sprint you can miss the the week in the middle it's happening. If you know, I'm going to give you guys three months' notice. Turn up, play. If you don't turn up, fine. Because it yeah. got to the point where nothing else was working. Yeah. Anyway, it was so successful. It's brilliant. Um, every single player turned up for all. Um, for, a, apart from the downtime, two people didn't, but all six players turned up every single time. Played it all the way through. It was absolutely fantastic. Did you do I,
0: something during the downtime? Did you do something different, or was it just like a week off?
1: uh no no we had um this it was ajax gorgoff's arena of death roadshow
0: ah right okay
1: (laughs) it was very random um just because i got the model it had just come out i was really excited and um so he was the host which was just bizarre and everyone just turned up with a champion and you you just sort of went for it in this big zone Mortalis arena of death so that was that was fun um but the great thing is, and this is how Necromunda saved Watford War Games Club. We had all these people turn up regularly, so we suddenly started getting a critical mass.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I put loads of my own money into getting the terrain for it. Yeah. Because the club's terrain was like old and naff and awful. You weren't still using the cardboard stuff, were you? Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Oh yeah. Um and then one of the 40k players who just turned up, was really impressed by it all. He read all the narrative, all the missions, and the three possible endings at the end of the the first campaign. Yeah, Um, And he was like, oh my god, this is amazing. I need to go and do a 40k campaign. So then he gathered all the 40k players together and then that critical mass that we then had regularly attracted more players. Oh wow. and, And the club was saved. Fantastic. Well there you go. Necromunda saves the day
3: absolutely and
1: it's all thanks to you guys listening to your podcast
3: <laughs> so so Ad, adam it's quite interesting when you said you know um you know at, at one point you almost laid the gauntlet down and said look guys if you don't come that's it we're just not doing it do, do you think that's kind of what it needed That like just that firm hand with players to say look i'm putting my time and effort into doing this and either you turn up or i stop yes i think that's what might have done it yeah
1: because we'd had like this casual campaign that was just a complete mess and i was running demo games in between because players just weren't committing and i just said in the end i was like mm. i just said look this is how it's meant to run this is how it's meant to run the book and for sanity's sake and time and pairing people etc look this is when it's going to happen i've given you three months notice let's do this and like i said the club was on the verge of collapse so i had nothing to mm. lose at this point
0: mm.
1: Um, yep. and then by some miracle everyone turned up. And I mean we're we're starting the third campaign in January. Um and sick. we've got we've got twelve we've got twelve players booked in for it. Great. Uh the second That's campaign. Beer, I, it's big. Yeah. So I'm planning to run like two campaigns per year, roughly. Um and the one in September, October we just had, we had um we had ten players. Um, and a, there were a few dropouts here and people dropping in back and forth here and there, but generally most people only missed like maybe one game maximum. That's really good, um, yeah. But it was mm. great because you just say, look, three months in advance, this is when it's happening. This is what it is. Here we go. Yeah. It kind of helps as well that I put the whole thing on Google Drive, all the missions. So there's like a little narrative intro and then you've got the mission explained afterwards. Yeah. Um, some people, Some people just turn up and they read the, the print out and they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'm playing that, whatever. And they'll just get on with it. Other people do like to sit down and actually read the whole thing from start to finish in advance. Um, and that's that's fine as well. That's, that's kind of what... We have
0: exactly the same. Yeah, we, we we want to, and and it's interesting actually because obviously Dixie said on any number of occasions, guys, I, you know, you keep asking me these questions, and I've written it in in the in the campaign document, and I'm now in that situation of writing the rules, and I'm and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm going to get exactly this, I'm going to have to explain, so I'm almost putting like little summaries in at points so people hopefully you can just read the short, quick, quick version. You're going to have yes. to hit
4: people with the arbitration bell.
0: Yeah I'm, oh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I think I need to come up with my own version of the arbitration bill. I haven't quite worked out what that's going to be yet, but you're going to get one of those like those giant brass gongs. Mm, I'm toying with the <laughs> idea. I'm. I'm. I'm in. Uh, I'm in the US next week. I'm toying with the idea of buying a big Nerf gun. I could probably <laughs> find us a cattle prod at a
1: push. If you want. <laughs> 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 danger, danger. Do, do you have an arbitration bell, Adam? Um. I generally make announcements in the Facebook group, and it just usually starts off with "Hear ye, hear ye!" all in caps. The Lord, Arbit- the Lord arbitrator, or the beneficent Lord arbitrator, has decreed that dot dot dot, and then whatever the announcement is, uh, and then I get reactions from. The you need you need uh, to yeah. invest
4: invest in some sort of uh, thing. Blunt, blunt
2: instrument. Blunt
3: instrument. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: When,
3: when,
4: when I when I say arbitration bell, just for clarification, mm. I have a, a an actual brass handbell that I use whilst we're at the club to get everyone's attention to make the sort of thing that or. a school
3: mum from from like the 70s might have <laughs> more like Victorian <laughs> times
4: yeah um I, I also hit, threaten to hit people with it if they you know misbehave or ask Bef- stupid questions
2: before we go on a a bell related <laughs> tangent gents question to you Adam so it it sounds like it's the the narrative element of necromunda that's almost saved the club as as much as anything you you mentioned it also kind of gave the the 40k players that impetus to, to kind of up their numbers and, and become invested did they take a narrative standpoint because my understanding with with, yes. with 40k is it's increasingly become a meta game rather than one where people are sort of emotionally invested in their armies
1: no, Casper um, uh, Ka- uh, at the club. He um, he put together a narrative campaign. Um, it, obviously, not as narrative as Necromunda, but there was. Uh, I think he- you're using it? the Crusade rules. That's the one. I couldn't remember the name. The Crusade. Yeah,
0: using campaign. the Crusade yeah. rules. Yeah, I mean they're they're okay, <laughs> yeah. but then yeah, they're they're like Necromunda light light, but yeah, I mean you know they're okay. Yeah, yeah.
3: But it's so, it, interesting. I've, I've been I've been poking around with Kill Team uh-huh. just because. My my younger ones have started to be kind of like, oh, what's this? What's this hobby? Can I play? Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it it seems like a a more um narrative way of getting them into you know the the various factions. Yeah. Um, you know, and anyone who kind of it almost seems like the slippery slope. You know, you <laughs> kind of start at forty k, kind of try kill team, and then kind of oh look, there's Necromunda where it's all story. It's all yeah. You know, you, you've oh, I, gone from having armies so to a, a basic squad, and then suddenly you're just scum in the bottom of an underhive. You know? High, highly equipped hobos,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, this, this, it's it's interesting you say that, and this this is one of the things that seems to work really well um, with doing Necromunda for different players because you, you have to accommodate so many different personalities. Um, I make, make sure I print out the sheet and just stick it on all the tables each week. Um, but having the narrative intro engages like a, percent, a chunk of the players. And then yep. having the mission nice and concise underneath engages another chunk. And you have to do all these little things to sort of engage everyone as a group. If the narrative was taken away, for example, you'd pretty possibly lose half the players and then you lose your critical mass and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Um, but the, na- the narrative has been really, really good. And having three different possible endings based on the behaviours and the choices that people make throughout the campaign collectively um, has been amazingly good for engagement as well.
3: Yeah, no, I definitely second that one. And it's interesting that, Interestingly, I was at a, a game show just the other weekend. In fact, I think most of the club was. And um, the, the tables that managed to attract the most people were those who had brought a good narrative they could tell a good story even if their game wasn't really quite there you know if they were telling a really good story they had attention on their stall those games that looked pretty but had no story or the mechanics might have been tight as anything but had no story they just sat there
2: no no attention
3: at all it's really it's
2: a a really good shout Lawrence. we should actually because it was such a good week and we should give a shout out really shouldn't we should to the war games association of Reading. Um, because as, as per our socials, Dixie, myself, and yourself were, were there at least one, if not two days. Eddie was running um, a, a
0: thing And well. Eddie was
2: there, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was, but I don't know about you, Lawrence, the one that leapt out at me was the Mordheim board, which was just, oh, yeah, it was a thing
3: of beauty. Yeah, what? yeah. and so yeah, I, I have to admit, his, uh, his business card, I'm sure, is uh, still in my wallet, but there was a, a gentleman with a um, uh, kind of a, a, board, a homebrew board game that he was he was trying to kind of get off the ground and it was very much based off a D anD D, and he had the he had the story there, you know the production value wasn't quite there yet which you know I mean to be fair I gave him some honest feedback uh, which was a, a kind of a, a no for me, um, but this way he had my partner and she was enraptured by it so, you know if you can, you know, get the wags. <laughs>
2: as as i as i understand it adam the, the narrative has kind of brought the club back from the brink and got got all these players invested in necromunda but you didn't stop there did you you went you went full rpg mode as i understand it yeah dnd is a
1: great segue
2: so um thanks for that
1: ross um yeah so one, I, I'd put out a club survey to sort of understand what games people were playing or what stuff we should be running at the club to make more people turn up to, you know, keep us afloat. And D D came back massively popular. And, Stranger um, Things, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> of, I'd say a bunch of goddamn nerds. Why can't they just play 40k like the cool kids? Anyway, <laughs> but. Um, one thing I noticed because um, different players and people who were coming into the club, mostly through forty K, were seeing what was going on in Necromanta. and they're like, "Oh, yeah, I was always kind of interested in that. Like interested in the narrative, whatever." And I gave them, I, I was like, "Oh, yeah, this is the mission this week," and they'd read the narrative. And then people who are really interested, like Casper, um, I gave them like weeks in advance. I was like, "Here you go. Here is the three alternative endings depending on what happens." He just read it all, and he's like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" Oh, like and. Uh, Quite a few people said to me, "Do are you do you run DND as a as a DM?" I was like, "No, nah, I ain't got time for all that." But anyway, so I suddenly had my pool of D and D nerds that were that were that were playing other games and not coming down that often. And I was like, "Right, I need to recruit some more Necromunda players because then I can make them come to the club for a seven week sprint, which then keeps us, keeps us." Floats out into the red, out of the black.
0: Mm -hmm. um, The way around, isn't it? I
1: don't know. I don't do accounting. I work in marketing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So,
2: yeah, um, I'll I'll second that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm using that at work. I love that.
1: (laughs) Cool. So, um, yeah. So, I was like, right. I can take the mechanics of Necromunda in a Zone Mortalis environment and streamline it into a dungeon crawl and then advertise it to the nerds at the club, don't kill me guys um, as as basically a Necromonda themed RPG and put a little narrative together for it
4: That's
1: and, cool. I mean, in
3: many ways it kind of is, you know <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can imagine that wasn't very hard
1: No, it, it wasn't at all because um, I shared the rules for free online on various Facebook groups Um and it was literally like, yeah, you, know, you get two actions each. Everything works as normal. Um, but if you obviously you get killed, if someone's in base contact for you, with you for one action, they can sort of pick you back up sort of Gears of War style after you've been shot in the face. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and that was also a great way of teaching people, look, this is the necromunda mechanics. If you get shot by an auto gun on full auto, it's going to hurt. You know, you're not trudging around as an invincible space marine. Um yep. That went amazingly well. I recruited, uh, f- yeah, I recruited four new players into the fold who then immediately went out and bought their gangs and then played in the in the second campaign. Um, but one thing Absolutely. that was quite amusing, which may entertain you, was um, so there's a new guy who just joined called Steve. He would got his all lock ganger with a combat shotgun and a flail, mm-hmm. and and it was like, okay, let's go around the table and just introduce all our characters because everyone named their characters off the a sheet um because they could have x amount of creds to spend in total on all their equipment or whatever and it was like right steve came in knew nothing about Necromunda. he had an orlock ganger for all intents and purposes it's a fairly normal person in the world of Necromunda. yeah more or less like yeah and it was like let's go around the table oh here's dan with his esher and he was like yeah they hate men they've got they've got the um the flesh curse and all this other stuff, and they use poison weapons. It's like, okay, cool. And it's like, all right, over to Nick, who's got the Vansar character. It's like, yeah, uh, my guy's dying from cancer. His suit keeps him alive. <laughs> and all this other stuff comes around to me, Goliath player. Yeah, uh, my guy, Spike, he is three days old. He's fresh from the vats and he likes hitting shooting people with his massive gun. And The look on Steve's face being dropped in the (laughs) middle of Necromuntha with all these weird, misfit characters dying or you know, there were like babies in like huge, beefy bodies and other weird stuff. It was a bit of a, it was quite an amusing shock to his system
0: That's good, that's good I like that, that's awesome I mean, I suppose there's we the you know, long term players take uh, take for granted the kind of the, the massive backstory and IP that kind of yeah. has been built up through N95 and N17 and but I, so I suppose mm. if you are completely agree, I mean, I think we've said this before. I said to Callum when he came on, I sort of, in some respects, I'm kind of envious of that completely brand newness, and you kind of get to explore this whole world for the first time. Um, you know. But there we go.
2: Well, especially through this podcast, we, we get to enjoy the echo chamber we inhabit, don't we? But we, I'm sure we've all been there trying to explain it to a quote-unquote normie, and their <laughs> eyes start to glaze and a, and a trickle of drool starts to come out one side of their mouth. There's, a
3: little bit. A little bit. Yes. Or, 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 or they start looking worried and like they might have you sectioned. Yes. Yeah. For, <laughs> for a
2: number of years, my, my dyslexic fiancé uh, told everyone that I was really into necrophilia. <laughs> you know you should lean into that well she'd tell people yeah it's a little bit weird but it's harmless enough
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Adam I've got a question for you so um, obviously with the the releases that Gameswitch have done over the past year have been kind of the big story pieces that have been moving the kind of the world along you know literally we've had a change of leader right and mm-hmm. I, I quite like this because it's, you know, it's taken all of the players who were, you know, the arbitrate, you know, the the Palantine enforcers and essentially made those the bad guys, which I think is great. They always were. Weren't oh, they hang always? On <laughs> hang on a minute.
4: <laughs> Depends which side you're on, surely. Uh
3: well yeah, fair enough.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no,
3: no. Well this way, if you painted them blue with the, the, the yellow and black skull on the on the middle, they're very much now the bad guy. <laughs> um but, um, well, because kind of going back to my question, you know, have you found that your players engage much more with the kind of the micro story that we kind of tell in our clubs, in our campaigns, or more to the big macro stuff that's going on, more 40k style? You know, um, it's been very much the micro
1: story of what's immediately happening in our sumpford setting, um, because that's what's impacting on their gangs and. The other thing you have to remember in the in the greater narrative, I mean, I've not really spoken to my players about this because they're, they're quite happy in this little bubble of what we have going on at the moment and just about their guys, their gangs, whatever. Um, you have to remember that, let's say, I, I mean, I don't even know what Hive we're in. Um, hive Primus, for example, <laughs> is so unbelievably vast and yeah. massive. Um, you know, most inhabitants of Hive Primus wouldn't even know you know, how far it. they are from the wall or from
2: the, the central... If were, or location. if they were even in it.
4: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like you're, they're this tiny, like, you know, the settlement is this tiny, tiny, minuscule speck in this gargantuan, monstrous structure of, like, that could, you know, it's like hundreds of miles across. Um So the fact that, you know, would they be aware of the outside world? Would they be aware of all these things that are going on? Probably not. They're all too busy fighting over... Resources, territory, um,
3: yeah, you know. So there, there is
1: this sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there there is this sort of blissful ignorance that, yes, these big things. Uh, and this is one of the things up, I
3: don't know. Yeah, this is one of the things I find a little bit disappointing with kind of the the su- succession books is, while they 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 try to tell a bigger story, in doing so, I think they accidentally made the world smaller. And that's how it feels to me, and you know, obviously, when we when we do our campaigns it's all about this really small as you as you have done you know it's a really mm-hmm. small area in the middle of what well the edge of what Somewhere. i would probably assume is hive Primus. but at no point i don't think we ever said that <laughs> and you know or while we've been trying to uh kind of try the other game systems and yes we have veered outside and so on you know it the world feels bigger when you're tiny but when, you know, when the when the writing is big, the world suddenly starts feeling small again, and you know, I I think that's slightly to detriment. Yeah, that's interesting, Lawrence. I mean, I
0: it's kind of a, I, I it's yeah, it's like reading it. Obviously, when you read the fluff of the books that obviously they're not writing the fluff for the denizens of wherever it happens to be in Necromunda and they're giving you this big kind of, um, you know, kaleidoscopic view of the world and everything that's going on, but clearly, I mean, I, but actually, you know, what Adam said and what you said there resonates with, it's almost like you kind of want the the inverse of that and and maybe that's in where some of the books, some of the, the fictional kind of stories and whatnot, you know, the, the, the Calderico, yeah. you know, it's that whole sort of, you want that micro level to to kind of connect with the macro level and i i to some degree i and i'll get into this when i start talking about my campaign that i i thought they touched on that a little bit with the temenos book but they didn't go really they they pulled up i thought a bit sure but i i i see where you're coming from and i i i I, yeah i tend to agree with you
3: what and i think quite where they where they sorry ross you go
2: what's quite interesting is is the fact that adam adam um, paying us a visit for this episode is prompting this this conversation because we haven't had it yet in in the podcast of the narrative. We haven't really broached it. I don't know whether we've been avoiding it, um, or or simply we've you know we've been you know hyper focused on on our own little corner. Mm. Um, but for my part, it's it's been it's I am using this in a slightly loaded way. It's been an interesting narrative choice by GW to to go macro to make these world level changes world level events you know a schism in escher um you know yeah. the half the populations walking across the toxic wastes to to pay a pilgrimage um when, well, when I, was, I, I was if i was a hedge, if i'd been I, hedging my bets the precedent they'd set with dark uprising was one i would have assumed wrongly in this case that they would have continued with of you know, at most a single hive and events relating to it, because it's 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 quite well, jarring for them to go to world level, planetary level narratives when the game is fundamentally about quite often ten to twelve nobodies scrabbling around for corpse starch tins. If you see my, game. I, I think the the <laughs> original
4: one, idea was to tie in with the 40k narrative with obviously mm, the time jump, yeah, um, primarily, Um but it's a good it's a good opportunity to drive that larger scale narrative and then, and then plug, you know, there's so many spinoffs that can come as a result of that, mm. uh, of that, that forced change in the setting opens up a lot of doors.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels yeah. like in 40 K they're pushing the narrative very heavily for a big, like, almost like uh, the end of uh, Warhammer the old times, all that kind of that massive world changing event. And you, you sort of feel with some of the, the, the stuff happening with the emperor in the in the books that dan abnett's writing that they're kind of edging towards this cataclysmic change that's going to come into 40k and maybe that bleeds over into what they're doing in other 40k university type events like mm. uh, you've
2: hit the nail on, the and, head, I, and i on, think on, sorry sorry go on you've hit the nail on the head there lee because even harking back to the destruction of the old world it was to put it mildly uh <laughs> slightly controversial, wasn't it? There were there were some very upset um, no. hobbyists out people in the world burning their armies, if I remember correctly. It's, <laughs> but it's it is difficult, I suppose. Though there are those that start to find a sort of stagnant, setting stale, and 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 uh, you know uninspiring.
3: Yeah.
2: And it, but it's almost just as bad to swing too far in the opposite direction in terms of how many people it alienates. Mm. Um, so you know, I. Well, I, I it, it, like, what is it, quite it, inter- interesting
4: because that I mean fundamentally. The narrative has progressed. The leaders have changed. The ha- you know, all Hell this much. stuff has happened. Yeah. There's there's this stuff, but but the act for for the actual, you know, as Adam was saying, like your average ganger in the hive, not a lot is different. Probably it's doesn't realise badges, yeah. different badges higher up, different banners, yeah. It, it does A different, make different reference way. to that uh, quite often in the
1: yeah. latest book where it just says like, oh, yeah, people saw these things like banners going up and then being changed and then they just went back to their jobs. They're like, oh, just nobles being silly. Never mind, carry on. Yeah,
4: <laughs> at
3: least yeah, the power's back
4: on. We've got food. Great.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah. o- the other thing is this, this isn't end times. Um, you know, no, shop haven't fundamentally changed the game system. So quite frankly, if you don't particularly like the change, just go and set your campaign as it was, you don't you don't have, well, the, you don't well, have to said, subscribe.
4: Uh, Ross mentioned the fact that we we've not really you know as a club uh, and a setting we've not engaged with the the, the the time jump as such, and that that's very deliberate on my part because it hasn't happened yet,
0: mm. and we can we can address it whenever
4: you want to, right? Well, exactly, yeah. Well, yeah. the other thing I'd argue is that um,
1: with a lot of my players... We'll cover it in 10,000 um, years. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, with a lot of my players, they're kind of, um, they're kind of ignorant to these bigger changes because they don't, they don't buy all the campaign books. Right. Um, they kind of get what I prescribe them. And then oh, they're quite happy with that narrative to then turn up... You know, they, they bought the core rule book you know they, they bought their gang book
0: yeah and that's about and it and then
1: it's it's up to me as the arbitrator to then feed them prescribe them campaigns every now and then for their little gang to live in yeah um they they're not my players aren't going out and buying campaign books i mean christ most of their money's been poured into 40k um <laughs> and 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 so they they're quite happy in this little bubble because like many of the high vests, they're ignorant to this bigger world and if i did show them the bigger world there's a danger they'd be terrified of it.
0: Mm. No, it's a, a That's a fair point, actually. I mean, it's. I mean, it's, it is interesting with the big campaign books. I mean, you know, we all get them because it's uh, we're, we're super, you know, uh, into it and super nerdy when it comes to Necromunda. But sometimes I do feel uh, that they're slightly underwhelming, and 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 I, and I like the apocrypha almost more than I like the campaign books because you, you get that short,
1: sharp blast of of stuff, and then you're moving on. But yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and the thing is, though, you know, as, as Dixie, I'm sure, will testify as well, um, as arbitrators, we are meant to know everything. We're meant to be omniscient so that we can advise and guide our players. And it's
4: it's what? a hell of a Me- lot of work. Meant to be. Meant to be.
1: Yeah. In an be. ideal world. That's what Necrodamus is for, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yes, that helps. <laughs>
4: um,
1: I was going to say, do you, do you guys help help your new players start out with, like, uh, like new starting lists for their gangs and things like that, because I I do find that yeah like a lot of guidance to sort of you yep. know sort of set them up, get yeah, them yep. going. Go right. Here's a good list with the kind of thing that you would like, so that you don't get murdered straight out of the gate and then struggle. I don't think it.
4: we've done. Well, I think Cal- Callum's a great example actually of that because he came, you know, he came to the club, had a chat with us, saw what we were doing, went away, <laughs> wrote a gang list, came back with it. And sort of said, "What do you think do you of think this?" Think, and I was like, "Well, yeah. Hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a good starting point." And then Gaz <laughs> went, and, let's, have, let's let's have a chat. Let's have a chat. And then out, and two yeah. hours later, he came back with another list and went, "What do you think of that?" And I was like, "Well, that's so much better." I mean, we had
2: uh, ahead of back to basics. We it was the first time we would kind of formally structured uh, kind of intro sessions, wasn't it? Yeah. We had two Monday nights where we openly encouraged through through the Guildford Games Club group anyone even if they were vaguely interested or already committed to the new campaign, the forthcoming campaign to come down, build, you know, build a gang, um, chat and chat about it physically or, or Mm. in terms of of gang listing. And I think it was a really, I I really enjoyed those nights. It was a lot of, you know, shooting the breeze, sticking together some models going Mm. through the pouring through the books and doing some painting. Yeah. Working it out between us
3: all really. No, it was was good. I mean, we have been doing that before as well. I mean, for example, um, the other Ross, um, I can remember when he came down for. I think his first foray into our club was when we were doing the uh, Fugitive Drift campaign, you know. And I remember spending a little bit of time with him in the weeks running up to that, you know, playing a few skirmish games and you know trying out lists and just giving him a chance to try it before, you know, yeah. essentially before he bought it, you know, yeah. before he was committed to a list.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because there's no, there's nothing worse. I mean, I know with Necromander, it's a smaller buy and it's not like you know chucking 600 mm-hmm. quid at 40k army, you turn up and, the rest. and just and yeah and the rest and just get slapped all over the place in your first game and you're like oh i just spent 600 quid on this not, well, you
0: can, know, can you can you imagine you know going all in with a drew Kari or a league of volt analyst for tent for the new edition and then realizing oh they're absolutely awful i just thought you see the meta <laughs> thing that they released the other day about you know sort of percentage <laughs> wins and it's like it doesn't matter how good you think you are if you're not playing one of the top tiers forget it right yeah,
1: it, it was so much better in fifth edition, but that's another. Episode. I'm with you, man.
0: Fifth was the best for me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> had my space wolves back yeah. in the day; they were great.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't do the, the 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 twilight werewolves, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, um, but yeah. The- um, so, what, what I wanted to say is. I just find... I, I feel that helping a new player with a good list to get them out of the gate into the game so they don't just get annihilated at the start and then lose face and drop out of the campaign is really important.
0: No, it's fair enough. I mean, I think in we've done things a lot in the past where, I, I mean, not necessarily as prescriptive as here's a list, but definitely this whole you know, bouncing lots of ideas off of people and giving mm-hmm. them the opportunity to kind of understand the ramifications. And you you see those light bulb moments where it's suddenly like, oh, well, if I do this and this, it's like, ah, oh, I get it, right? You know, um, which actually leads me into my question because I want to move into Stack of whack because we've loved your combinations we, <laughs> we took the hyper maiden and kind of turned it up to a lot more than 11 but you know t- talk us about you know how um, are the, are the, is the kind of that kind of combo building and the stack of wax sort of stuff is that um, permeating your players or is that something that you just kind of taken perverse delight in in
1: doing for yourself <laughs> yeah yeah perverse delight for myself um <laughs> yeah. so yeah uh, i when i'm putting together lists or i'm looking at stuff um, I will come across really dirty things, but this comes also comes back to being an arbitrator where you start looking at everything and have a big, un, a, a, a sort of holistic understanding of each gang, what it does, how it works, et cetera, um, yeah. in the wider meta. And you sort of look at stuff and go, oh, yeah, that can be a problem let me make a mental note of that, or let me quash that before some cheesy player jumps on it. And then you have to step in. I, I don't have like a blunt object to hit anyone with. You
4: need to get um, one. I've got
1: an, well, I've, I've got yeah, a definitely
4: pick method. one up for sure. Oh, no. Oh, no, Preferably no, no, something loud.
1: Oh no, I've got a more sneaky method to um, encourage fair play, which I'll tell you about in a moment.
4: Um Intriguing. I He's a Delac. I, I, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh,
1: I mostly play Goliath, so anyway. Um, but <laughs> um, I will look at all this stuff and sort of go, like, permeating all the combinations in my head and like, okay, that could work like this or whatever. So that's how I come up with this sort of wacky stuff, or I'll see someone's idea and then go, oh, yeah, we can turn that up to 11. Um, so that's, it's mostly where it comes from, me trying to quash problems before they occur. Um, and the way I do it, instead of beating them over the head, because I'm. <laughs> even though I play Goliath, naturally I'm a very detailed person that avoids conflict. Mm -hmm. And I try to persuade and get around and other things, uh, mostly from my job in marketing where I have to deal with difficult clients. Uh, Sorry, challenging clients, demanding clients. Um, And what I will do instead is I'll have other players basically do the the beating over the head for me because as the Lord Arbitrator, I can give them bonus tactics cards. Delegation. that That I've handwritten... If their opponent has something particularly nasty, cheesy, whatever, that tends to counter what they're doing to sort of punish them for their uh, being cheesy, I will casually speak to them first. Um, I, and I like that. That's, and... uh,
0: that's an interesting way of doing it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that's the first first mention we've heard, even in the community broadly, of, of custom taxis cards. And it's it's such an elegant and violent thing to do. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah, because
1: rather than me go up to a player and go, like, okay, mate, I think what you're running here is a little bit cheesy. Do you want to swap this out, change this around? I, as the arbitrator, I'm cool. You don't have to sell it and then like five creds at the trading post or whatever. Just swap it around. No, no, no more said. It's all good. If the player's then resistant, they know that their opponent is going to get some sort of very saucy tactics card. Given to them by the Lord Arbitrator, that's then going to massively benefit them to sort of punish that behaviour, and that's kind of how I keep everyone in line.
4: I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, um, shall we? Uh, hang on. I'm, I'm just making some notes. notes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay.
3: <laughs> so, Adam, there's another uh, there's another mechanism that's very similar in the rule book and I think is very underused, which is the um, the house plots. Have you considered ever using one of those as well or in addition or instead?
1: Um, generally, right, with the streamlined campaign that I run, so I'll, I'll write all the missions and the, with a narrative intro, they've got like one page each. They're easy to print and just read. Um, there's a general uh, clarification sheet, not an FAQ or house rules per such. It's more where problems have come up where I'll, I'll clarify the different points um, I've gone off piece because I've totally forgotten your question. Terribly sorry. What was your question again?
3: House plots. The, ha- the house plots in the in the book are, are, are sort of like um, little no, no, boons it's, it's or, or sometimes punishments.
1: Yes. Um, so the house plots we've avoided, um, alliances we've avoided as well. Um, and then one thing that's come up before is that in the rule book it actually states that you can only ever have a maximum of one bounty hunter or three hives gone. As well. That's one of the other clarifications. Um, but generally, we've avoided all of that because it's a bit swingy based on what you roll. Um, and if Same. you're lucky enough to hire a, you know, like Ajax Gorgoth for 100 creds and he just yep. steamrolls the other gang. And you happen to have made an alliance with, uh, I don't know, the, the Pyro Guild in your second game. And your opponent that you're matched with has just turned up for their first game. And suddenly you've got like an extra. Five guys on the table.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. So my, I think my understanding of what the subplots are there to be used as an mm-hmm. arbitrator tool, almost for use as your kind of custom custom tactics card. You know, yeah. Um, and in, and it's, it's interesting you say about um, about the alliances. You know, we've we've found them to be not all alliances are, are equal, and you know some of them are nasty. Yeah. But uh, you know, I remember um, Dixie in one of your previous campaigns. You know, we. We had a potential where, if if one side got particularly away with it, it it's possible that you know alliances could have been used as a balancing factor.
4: Yeah, we had the alliance mechanics within the campaign for primarily narratively, but also people gained the benefits of the alliance in in various ways. But the actual physical turning up of the alliance was was at the arbitrator's discretion um, as a balancing mechanic. So you know if your alliance came to 500 credits worth of fighters that might turn up and your opponent had 500 credits more worth, worth of gang um they might show up on the table to support you.
0: Mm.
4: Yeah, what what we tend to do uh is try and uh,
1: match people by gang rating during the campaign.
3: Yeah, it makes sense. So do you essentially do you make it kind of like a almost like a, a uh, you know, campaign. You know, traditional forty k campaign style, where you try and make sure everybody plays each other once, but in yes. the right order. So you know, a fake Yeah, you know
1: yeah, I mean, to, to, yeah, yeah. To an extent, we try and do that, and then everyone's sort of paired by by rating, uh, gang rating. um But the thing I always say to my players is, look, you're you're not playing forty k, where you're just going to st- basically stand on a hill and die defending it yeah. because obviously you've got to you've got to live you've got to survive like to the next game and one thing i try and drum into my players especially the new ones when they come on board is like look this is a narrative game you're telling a story about your gang okay if you start taking absolute tonking there's no shame in running away before you get wiped out absolutely and, mm. and, and a lot of my players have embraced the fact that Um, and sometimes the campaigns are pretty horrible. I mean, the next one we've got coming up is absolutely horrific um, because it's an uprising campaign. Um, And I say to them, look, you're here to try and survive and make it through the campaign. You're not here to, like, win a 40K tournament. Um, And that mentality seems to be setting in
3: quite well now. Cool. It's an interesting interesting way of putting it to players because, you know, often, you know, and in fact, you know, the triumphs kind of reward you for success when, in actual fact, survival is success. Yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely.
4: Well, I'm going to take... Yeah, yeah, this it, op- not, it normally takes a player a campaign to get used to that idea, though, especially if they come from a 40K setting where there's no... Um, Consequences. Co- yeah, there's no consequence to their fighters being you know, annihilated, whereas in mm-hmm. Necromunda often there is.
0: Right, well, I'm going to take the opportunity, seeing as we're talking about new campaigns, to, to introduce my new campaign that we've sort of uh hinted at and teased so th- this will be the first time that uh lawrence uh has heard some of this uh, dixie and, and and ross have been helping doing a little bit of uh, proofreading and editing and obviously adam you, you you too so uh the new campaign that we're going to run uh guildford games club uh Ford radio obviously uh in we're starting in the new year it's going to be kind of uh, whenever we kick off second week of january that kind of thing so the premise is the treasure in the wastes. The idea is that we've got a crashed starship in the wastes, the foe of chaos in the wastes. The gangs are basically out to get as much loot, as much salvage as possible back to Gilda's ford. So the idea is, is that the, you know, the, the foe of chaos was in dock at the Eye of Celine, and for reasons that don't become apparent in the campaign, nothing to do with the campaign, it crashes in the waste. And of course, it's so big, everyone in the, in, in, on Necromunda fundamentally, or especially around Guildersford and, and the other hives kind of close by, see this thing come down, but it's in the deep waste. So the idea is get from uh, Guildersford out to it, loot as much stuff as possible, and then get back. Uh, And so, of course, what I'm doing is I I took a a lot of inspiration out of the... The Tamanos books and the Ash Waste books. And I think when we played the Ash Waste, and I think you guys agree or disagree, we, we thought that, you know, kind of playing a complete 100% Ash Waste uh, campaign wasn't really kind of working. There were, some people thought there was this whole thing around like going back to the Underhive and, and, and like the claustrophobia of that. So what I've tried to do is design a campaign that starts in the Ash Waste and then goes inside the, the wreck of the starship and then back out. So you have to get there. With vehicles, and then you have to fight your way in, get as much loot as possible, and then fight your way back out again. And there will be things uh, that pop up. And I'm obviously, I'm not going to spoil what happens in the particular scenarios, that will come later. But the fundamental kind of uh, the, the way that the campaign is designed to work is that the, the loot... And the salvage that the ship is carrying is the thing that everybody's after. That sounds all kind of fairly straightforward and all the rest of it, but the the flavor that I'm adding into this is that because you are so far away from anywhere else, you're in the deep, deep wastes, there is no trading post. You have no ability to buy new stuff because there's no caravan out there to buy it from. But there's all this loot. And so salvage each of the, the the loot crates effectively are worth a salvage point. And that is kind of the currency of the the overall campaign. That at the end of the campaign you collect these salvage points and you the most number wins but if you haven't got loot you can open the salvage crates to generate something depending on the size of the crate um you know and and i've generated you know created a system of tokens that allow you to generate bits of loot so it's that kind of balance between do I salvage stuff and do I keep the salvage because, of course, the score that I have for my gang and my and, and the campaign obviously goes up? Or do I need something a bit spicy because, you know, I need something a bit spicy and all of a sudden you decide to open a crate and get whatever is in that crate based on that I'm using a token system to, you know, to so pick tokens from a bag and it tells you what you get. And of course, some of those could be booby trapped. So it's that risk reward of: do I keep? Do I open? Do I do it at certain times? You can open during during the game, during the firefight, fight, but there are penalties to that. The other thing that I'm doing, instigating something that I saw that I really wanted to um, have f- uh, from the Temenos book, because if you read the Temenos book and it talks about the prophet and it talks about the kind of the cornucopia of the people that he's kind of persuaded to follow him, you know, and you you read about you know. Enforcers working with Escher, working with all these other gangs, and some some gangs aren't with them, and some gangs are. I I loved this, and I've always loved this idea of the narrative elements of Necromunda, meaning that you've got this very rigid gang structure, and but surely there are going to be people that a bit like the outcasts, the outlaws, working uh, working together. So I'm I'm I've kind of put together this this notion of what I'm calling an alliance gang, and Ross kind of alluded to it a bit earlier, where I'm going to allow people to take anything from any book rules on that are basically keep the same kind of gang composition so you know you still need 50% gangers and all the rest of it but you could have an enforcer captain with a death maiden with an an, an arachna rig brute if you wanted to those kinds of things obviously you know you still got to fit that inside your cred limit and there are downsides I'm, i'm putting in a series of downsides around things like you know you can't group activate you can't use house tactics cards you can't any assistance role. So, you know, cool checks and bolt checks because, you know, you can't help each other because essentially you're just a band of mercenaries. So I think I like the idea of the campaign because I want it to be this mix of outside and inside and kind of gives you that claustrophobia of fighting in, in the under kind of uh, tunnels, but also outside in the ash wastes, but could be completely cut off from Guildersford itself it's sort of its own self-contained little bubble world that could be at any point in wherever we are in our narrative and that's the kind of the premise of the campaign Hmm. my
1: initial reaction is a rack and rigs for everybody
0: if you can afford them but remember you know there are there are going to be elements where you can't get them in or you know maybe the scenario is not going to be conducive to just having brutes all over the place right yeah yeah but but also the
4: the negative to yeah. having a, a, that type of gang will, will be quite yeah. critical.
0: Yeah, I'm also the other thing I didn't mention was the minus one on the bottle checks, which we didn't do in the test game the other night, uh, Ross, which I completely forgot. But um, you know, so there, I, I, want, I wanted to kind of give people that option to say you can take anything, right? But there are going to be distinct negatives to doing that because there is you are not following this the constraints of the you know the rigors of the house you know you're you're just you're but you're basically a band of mercenaries
1: and and games can be won or most of my games are won by group activations
0: there you go right you know the the sort of the 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 hyper maiden stacks of
2: whack kind of stuff overseer etc don't happen because you can't do it i I don't know about original inspiration lee i wouldn't presume to to claim that for you but um it's it shares a sort of common heritage with the um, Alliance gangs in that uh, apocrypha that came out um, was it last month, um, which was the the slightly contentious uh, historical Necromunda War gaming, wasn't it, where where yeah. you could do Alliance gangs in in a similar vein. I'll be completely honest and say that I never actually
0: read that, so I'd like to think that I'm been unbiased by looking at any of these apocrypha and coming up with this kind of
2: campaign, kind of by myself. Yeah. Um, what we found on, on Monday night that we we touched on briefly earlier, I I <laughs> I didn't go full whack, did I, Lee? Not you, even close. You've you've, you've you've backed me up because I was full of self doubt. Um, so
0: Callum, for my part, went even less whack, and and you could have done things that would have made uh, Lawrence cringe.
2: Yeah, indeed, indeed, uh. yeah. But for for my part, mine was was a fairly clean uh, fifty 50 alliance between Dalak and Escher. Yeah. Um. But I did lean into the combat monsters, so I had yeah. a Nactical and a Death Maiden as my two my two um champions. Yeah.
0: Um.
2: And then had paid for what did I proxy? Oh, a, a Pisces of So the Murder yeah. Squid, as it's yeah. known in Dalak circles. Um. Uh, but it was a close run thing because in 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 opposition I think Cal not in necessarily stack of whack but he definitely went for the the best of the houses didn't he because he doubled yeah. down on Gaff from all Bone Pickers yeah loads of Bone Pickers and then stuck a
0: last cannon in with a Van Saar but didn't put suspensers on it but didn't put suspensers on it does that make
3: you feel good Laurence <laughs> Yes, he does. A warm should, and fuzzy. You shouldn't, you shouldn't move and shoot I say, the last
1: cannon. I'll say the, the, the Vansar don't need to move and shoot or even aim, because they just hit on two plus through everything.
0: Well, it was more to do with his placement of where he happened to put the last cannon that meant a number of times he just simply couldn't see anything. Uh, it
2: he, he he succumbed to the, the temptation of, of a crow's nest, yeah, you know, a really high yeah. vantage point. Indeed. Which but I then uh, spent the rest of the game putting a very large building between him and everybody an
3: else. But um, it's times like that. It's times like that you want a, a long rifle or something with knockback. It's like yeah, yeah that'll teach. To, that'll teach you to snipe up there. <laughs> but um, yeah. it like or just a any- knacked gourd to jump out behind him.
2: Yeah, like any home brewed rule set, it it needs more play testing. That that's that's no reflection yeah. on on Lee's writing. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Uh, and and I'm planning to over the over December is to get people involved uh, to to do that. And you know, I mean, when I get back from my my work trip, I'm going to try and set that stuff up because because you know I, you know it was interesting. I put out uh, I don't know Adam if you saw this on, on the, the the chat for the Guildford Games Club Facebook group. I actually asked the community you know if you could what would you build? And actually, I got a very limited response. I was sort of surprised if, you know, you take the, take the gloves off and you can kind of pick anything, uh, what would you pick? And and very few, I mean, maybe people missed it or whatever, but very few people actually kind of um, took the bait on that one. And I, I was sort of, I was, I was hoping that I might come, people come back with these ridiculous kind of completely overblown lists that would demonstrate to me, ah, maybe this isn't a good idea. But
1: yeah. We'll see what if, if the Facebook algorithm had shown that to me, I would have bitten your hand off. With yeah.
0: <laughs> One of those things. But as I say, it, it, I mean, I'm, I know I'm probably creating a rod for my own back here. And I, you know, I, I obviously need to work out and, and I have been taking notes around what you were saying with, the, you know, kind of ways to mitigate and what Dixie does, you know, kind of bringing in custom tactics cars or bringing in ways if, if people clearly are getting hammered. Uh, then there's going to obviously I've got to find ways to to, to kind of uh, mitigate that in game. I and mean, what one of one of my one of the things I'm I'm quite proud of, I guess. I'm not sort of blowing my own trumpet here, but I'm in in the loot uh, mechanism. I've actually you know you can generate basically anything, including ambots. And so there is a mechanic in the loot generation thing that you know you you walk up to a crate, open the crate, and there happens to be a shiny ambot inside it. So people can very quickly go from nothing to oh look, I've just got this new thing. Or they could decide to open one of the crates and there be a last cannon inside it. Or because I'm just doing this, you know, you open a particular crate and you get up to a a particular thing on the trading post, so they could pick up to a rare twelve or a rare fifteen or an, whatever they want kind of thing. So they or something don't... illegal. Exactly, and I'm not being. I'm just saying, you know, the trading post, and that obviously includes the illegal stuff too. But it's 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 kind of controlled by the the rarity illegal illegal, illegality. Oh god, I can't even say it. Uh, That that, illegality. That's the one. That's the one I was grasping for. But that that sort of thing, because I I want people to have options of going. You know, well, maybe they want the melter cannon, but maybe
2: they want something else. I think. As far as the alliance gangs um, rule set, that's that's going to be the test because um, if you've both if you've got both gangs using you know this potentially abusable um, yeah. build system, if they're both doing it, then they're both as bad as each other potentially. If you see yeah. what I mean. Yeah. But it will be interesting to to get a bit of play testing in before the campaign in the new year yeah. against if for want of a better word, vanilla house gangs, gangs that that are, you know, built along regular lines and whether we do see an imbalance in that sense. But as you said, you've, you know, you have already built in yeah. balancing mechanics within the campaign itself. Yeah. So yeah. time will tell, I guess.
0: Yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing I should have mentioned as well, the other thing I'm doing, because because I was quite keen on the idea of getting people from... Guildersford out to the crash site and back obviously vehicle and transport is required so what what we've also done is concocted a way to uh manipulate the born in the saddle rule which basically means that you can buy mounts for any people that aren't mountable so for example you know um, i could i you know you could have your mounted people like the Dustbite halamites um Jubes effectively have a, a mounted and an unmounted profile, so that you could then use them inside where you're not allowed to use them in, kind of say, a, a, a Zone Mortalis style game, where you know you're not allowed to use mounted fighters. Uh, you can kind of have a, an unmounted profile where they would just lose their uh, the, the mighty leap and the extra movement. Right, they just essentially go back on foot. And I, I like this idea because I really wanted to give people the opportunity to run a, a nomads gang. But they, you know, I was, I started out with, oh, you know, how can I engineer a scenario where the nomads have got access to vehicles? And I, so I started out with this idea of, oh, they've captured some guild caravan and they've kind of tortured the, the, the drivers into teaching them how to use them. And and it was very convoluted. And then in the end, Dixie just went, why don't you just kind of give people the option to use this kind of unmounted, um, mounted, unmounted rule? And it was like, yeah, that's probably simpler.
2: So I, I kind of,
0: yeah. It's yep. worth always
2: better. It's worth benching Lee as well as as well as removing born into the uh, born off the saddle. You've also made it a much straight, much more straightforward for the nomads because everyone can buy. Uh, yes. a, a dust helomite as well can't yes
0: exactly so essentially I'm, I'm allowing everyone to buy one for the standard kind of creds that a bike would be so you could have your entire um gang mounted on hellamiteers which again i still i think is an awesome but move it's and it's the only option for them isn't it well exactly uh, unless they happen to find a, something in the waste but we won't go there but but it's that like, uh, you know narratively you kind of go well surely they'd all be mounted because how else they get around right so in my head that works.
4: From yeah, because a- you
1: can't take you can't take the um, the shaman character, the storm caller or whatever he's called. Um, you can't take him not on a Hellamite, which exactly just seems really bizarre to me.
0: Yeah, which so in this in my campaign, you'd be able to take him off the Hellamite and he'd be able to walk around. But obviously, you know, you lose his the extra movement speed and the mighty leap.
4: Yeah, it, it seems to be a common house rule to just ignore that particular rule. Yeah, you know, particularly if you're going to use. Um, uh, nomads, you know, outside of the ash waste and, and inside the hive, you just cut half your fighters out of voice. Exactly.
2: exactly. What what I do like with this uh, campaign in your you've made the assertion Lee that all gangs their fighters have to be transportable. That is to yes. say, you have to have mounted options or vehicles, uh, some some way official. of getting them. And that's um, intentionally or not, that's a classic um mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. The entire gang and in, in the race to the, the crashed uh, cruiser, yeah, it just makes sense. It's just such an obvious, yeah. but also narrative decision to make. Right? So, so I mean,
0: Ross kind of uh gave alluded to there what we're going to start the the campaign off with you know, everyone playing, and we're going to have a almost the other way around. We normally finish like Dixie normally finishes the campaign with an all against all game. I've decided to start the campaign with that, and we're just going to have a wacky races. Uh, race to to the crash site, so everyone starts up on, and then we're going to have a rolling road, you know, the the death rolling road, whatever it's called, death race, that thing, uh, and we're going to play we're going to play wacky races uh, out to the crash site, um, and you know, whoever wins that one gets there gets a pick of the choice bit of loot to start off, or choice, you know, uh, you know first pick of the. Um, uh c- container you know tokens essentially to allow them that and I, I just kind of think that's kind of a nice way of doing it and I, I like i like those big kind of thematic games but i thought we'd start with one rather than end with one
2: you've um you've touched on the tokens there um once again lee and yes <laughs> making it attention. More, attention. making it a more diplomatic conversation than than our previous ones it's it's to me it was an interesting choice of mechanic, um, and I know I know you and Dixie have discussed them as well. Right. I, I was I was very much as soon as you you, you mentioned tokens, I I went you know, grognard that I am, I went, well, why is it not a D66 or well, D100 table? It's interesting what's, that you say that. that.
0: Interesting that you say that. So it started out as a, as a D66 table. Uh, and because of the way that I wanted to have a lot of different, uh, you know, effects or, you know, a certain number of up to this level of whatever pull from the trading post or this explodes or, or whatever, the construction of that table is actually quite, to randomize it and to make it quite, um. Well, completely look unengineered is quite difficult, and and we Dixie and I were having this conversation, and I think it was you, wasn't it, Dixie, that just said, "Well, what? How about you? You know, you do it with tokens instead." And and so actually, what what I've done in the campaign pack is create. You know, tokens that you can print out and cut up and basically you know put in a bag or a box or whatever you want you know probably stick stick on a bit of um, card, and the idea there is is that you can just put in I've got you know a certain number of up you know whatever level and and you can create the random chance without necessarily having to engineer that very complicated table and because i'm doing three tiers or three sizes of salvage crate i'd have to create three of these quite complicated tables to to deal with the the levels of loot that each of these containers potentially contain right and so i, I the more i think about it the more i like this here's a bag of tokens Pull one out. That's what you get if you decide to open one of these containers. And, you know,
4: there are positives and negatives for doing it in-game or after the game, right? Well, it, it went back, my, my thinking on it when when you sort of came to me with the, the proposal for the, the campaign was thinking back to the New Blood campaign. You know, we had we had so many issues with people going, well, everyone's now got a stub gun or yeah. or, or smoke grenades or whatever it yeah. was, because that was the most common result that people were rolling on the table. yeah. And how do you randomise the table? And then Gaz did a whole load of research. Do you remember on like what what were the percentage chances That's, of each? Yes, he did. Did not he? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought well, surely the simplest thing, given that we're we're doing this in person at the club anyway, is just to just have a bag of tokens and yeah. then it's completely random.
0: Yeah. And you can kind of engineer it by putting a. You can weight it in certain ways. So you, you know, um, and what I've actually done in the campaign pack, and Ross and I were discussing this earlier. That the the merits or the you know the, the disadvantages of actually producing the tables to explain to people what would actually be in. And I'm, I'm, you know, it would be interesting actually to hear people's opinion about that. You know, is it is it? Do you want to know that? Do you think that's important? Because I, I put it in the campaign, sort of the rules, to show this is what's going to be in uh, each of the, the the pools, effectively. Of you know what you can pull, and and to show you the relative probabilities. Um, obviously, the tokens are there if you actually get to see them, but the chances are they're just going to be in a bag that you would end up pulling, so you probably wouldn't see them you know in the real effectively but it's this whole notion of you know people want to see what's the what's the potential what's the you know what's my gain and what's the likelihood of me pulling stuff and so you can you could tweak that you say well i want to put you know more of one type of token in or less and so you can kind of skew that probability quite easily without having to completely overhaul those tables which can be quite tricky but again, I'm, you know, thoughts on that. I mean, I'm really open to the idea. I mean, do people think that that's a good idea to have those those sort of tables of what the, the loot contents are? Or I, I, I genuinely
1: don't know. I was just going to say okay. that I feel that the having tables is quite good because as an arbitrator, it means that you don't always have to be there to witness everything. Okay. Um, as long as roles are made in front of an opponent. Yeah. And then it gets recorded, and yep. you've got two points of truth rather than just one player going, "Oh yeah, I, ro- I rolled." You know, I rolled the same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, then, then you're fine, and that's that's why tables are great because it takes um, it takes responsibility and ownership away from you as an arbitrator to keep checking in on everything.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would say about that is that the d66 table is is fair, is balanced. I think where we Tripped up previously is where we were using 2d6s, Um, and those don't evenly distribute the probability. Mm. Kind of uh, you know, merges in the middle where you know you're, you're far higher, far more likely to roll a result adding up to seven than any other result. So you do have to be a little bit careful in the design of some tables. You have to be aware of the probabilities, especially when you're adding dice together.
0: Yeah, which is um, which is kind of one of the reasons. I mean, I started doing it. And I, I did actually make the the sort of the, the tables and realised that, you know, by, because inevitably you are probably going to be doing it with, with a, a D6 and a D6, that there are some combinations like rolling a 29, for example, that you're not going to get. So you, you're kind of limited into these bands of 1 to 6, you know, 21 to 26, you know, Thirty-one to thirty-six kind of results, and I and I and I realised quite quickly that without actually having, I toyed with the idea of going and buying a bunch of D one hundred dice, and then saying, well, you know, it's, but it gets comp- even more complicated if you do that. And that's where again, the Dixie's idea of the tokens just really resonated with me because it, it makes it super easy that you, and you can you can change them on a whim. You don't have to change the tables because all the tables are are just this is what's in the bag.
3: You know, I think I think that's I think that's fair, and to say it's also mixes it up a bit. I mean, there are a lot of lookup tables in Nick grander. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it sounds it sounds exciting, and it sounds different, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. And yeah. um, I've already come up with a horrific idea for my vehicle, which is just hilarious. <laughs> I'm doing it now. I, I just I'm, I, I I just just I, was, I don't know even where the idea came from, but it's like. I need a I need a mutant vehicle for crossing the scump. Uh, what Vork's got? Rakatuck squig buggy? Nice. Cool. Okay, so I'm having a scump mortar. Oh god,
0: okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I shall be firing skump crocs across the battlefield. <laughs> I don't know how that's going to work. I will make it work. It'd be I mean, and you <laughs> I mean, have to obviously totally remember I mean, the,
0: the thing that I wanted to be clear about, you know, especially with you know people that have put a lot of creds into vehicles in, in especially in the Ash Waste campaign, that there are going to be some scenarios where vehicles are not going to be usable, right? Because you yes. are going to be going into the, the, the underbelly of all the crash, you know, kind of the cargo holds and stuff. So what we, what I'm saying and the, 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 the gang composition I had sort of didn't explain that is 1250 creds to start off with, and you can basically, as I said, you can. I'm giving people a, a starting rep of five, so you can actually have more hangers on to start off with. But of course, because you're going out into the middle of nowhere, there are going to be no docks. There's no Medicaid kind of like dock station out in there because it's just this crashed like you know starship, right? So you're going to need to.
3: Think- so in, so interesting. That's twelve fifty, including the vehicle. Nope. Get
0: no, 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 no. That comes oh, okay. so, so it's an extra four hundred as well. Five hundred actually. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, because you've got to get a bike on every model, that kind of thing. So, yeah, or or yeah. whatever you know, big transport in you know, a big truck with a transport bed if you want to do it that way. You know, you're, or everyone, like, everyone on a hellamite. You know, you're you're kind of. I, and I work. I always work on the principle when I am building a gang of ten, ten players, ten characters. Um, just how I think. So I figured it's fifty creds for uh whatever the bike's called, Ross. I always forget what the bike's called. Wasters uh, Wasters Dirt, wasters dirt, dirt bike. bike. That's the one. Uh, it's fifty. So I figured, well, ten of those, five hundred creds. Yeah, that probably works. So yeah, I mean, I, and and obviously, you know, if you want to go a bunch of uh, ridge runners or a bunch of you know buggies or whatever it is, you know, go ham, do your thing, you do you. Um, but I just kind of liked that idea of giving the ash the nomads players the option of of getting involved, and then you know, if you want to bring a cargo eight ridge hauler,
2: you can it's um It's worth mentioning that at the time of of this uh, episode going out, lee's been working really hard to get the the campaign supplement ready, yes so that hopefully in our in our December episode we can circle back and and take a dive into what everyone's planning to to bring. On their treasure hunt in the waste, I
0: would be, I would be really genuinely interested. You yeah, know, and and, and and I and I think the headline thing that you know, I think a lot of people are focused on that have seen it is this alliance gang idea. And I would be super interested to know, you know, when people look at this, what they're going to lean into. You know, do they want to go with a, you know, completely vanilla gang? Do they want to go alliance? Do they want to go outlaw? You know, those kinds of because it's basically everything goes. Um, I, I would be, I'd love to know how they want to play it and 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 it's going to be fascinating i think you know seeing that um slightly addictive actually quality of arbitration that i can see why dixie enjoys it so much um and yeah just uh well i mean you know just just thinking that the you know the the the, the potential of the whole gang being a stack of whack could be um could be
4: interesting best of luck Pete. Eh? thank you it's going to be fun
0: I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> or it will just be unmitigated, an unmitigated disaster of carnage and then no
4: one
2: will ever want me to arbitrate again, right? <laughs> <I> <laughs> well, could, so
4: it could still be fun.
2: I could certainly tell you're excited about the campaign because it's possibly the only thing that we've distracted you from getting into the stack of whack. Well, that's true. That's true. So it, it would be remiss of us not to give our guest Adam his opportunity to <laughs> disgust and horrify uh, the Necromunda community out yeah. there. So Adam, oh, are you, you braced and ready?
1: I, I am. I am. I hope you, you're you all ready. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, because we pivoted away from Stack of whack. let's pivot back. OK, so first of all, before I go into the latest uh, can of worms, I'm about to open, um, there was a stack of whack a few episodes back, which I needed to clarify. So um, it was an Escher Matriarch armed yeah. with a LAS cannon. That's
0: the one, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, ideally an infrared sight and equipped with the wide eye chem. Is it, which it is wide if you. Yeah. Yes, wide eye. I think I called if it you... wild
0: eye chem, and I obviously got it wrong in the... Um, yes, okay.
1: Ah, oh, it's close enough. It's fine. Um, but the whole point of taking this uh, character is that in the ash wastes, your visibility is limited, especially if you're up, if you're up against some sneaky nomads. Yes. Okay? If you give if you give an Esher character or Esher fighter the wide eye chem, they ignore all visibility restrictions. Yes. And then, because you've given her the last cannon, it's a plus one to hit at long range. Everything is at long range in the ash wastes. So she's hitting on a natural two plus without even having to aim. She doesn't have to buy a suspense Lawrence. And, and because she's got the infrasight, she can see straight through smoke as well. Now, the in the ash wastes, in the original rulebook, everything's meant to be played on a six-by-four table. So in theory, bear in mind the Ashways tables are pretty empty. You could put her up really high, or if you're really cheesy, make a, t- make a vehicle with a massive crow's nest that goes up really high like a pirate ship. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and bung her up there with her initiative two, because she's li- unlikely to ever fall off. Uh-huh. Um, and she can just pick people off with this last cannon, hitting on two, to her heart's content and chances are they can't even see her due to the visibility restrictions to even shoot her back.
0: That is not especially, especially if she's that yeah. high up, it might be further than the visibility allows.
1: That's quite possible as well, but she's got a dirty great 48-inch las Cannon. Yes. Yes. Okay, anyway. Um, on to... So we we before
0: you we we mentioned that one once. So did did we get what did we get wrong, or do, is that just a clarification on something that wasn't quite? Because I remember talking about that and thinking, "God, it's." Uh,
3: I I think we missed the visibility. <laughs> ah, right. Yes,
1: yeah. you yeah, yeah. rolled out all the other stuff, and I was like, "No, no, guys, you need to talk about the visibility." But anyway, it's fine. Right, sorry, my bad. Um, that's that's okay. It's not from. Okay, so um, this actually comes from one of my players who came over grinning like a lunatic that he'd come up
2: with this. <laughs> Name and shame, um, just, please. That sounds oh, yeah. so uh, familiar. Okay, Dan
1: White at Watford Wargames Club. I love Dan. He's one of my favourite players. He's so much fun to play against. Um, he came over like giggling like a lunatic, and he told me, and I just went, BANNED! Straight away. <laughs> uh, um, and, it's, and it's so beautifully simple, and I can't believe we've overlooked this. Okay, so you take an lock road sergeant, or it could, or it could be your road captain. Doesn't matter. Okay, you give them the lucky legendary name, which is kind of broken anyway, because it means yeah. you can change any dice roll that you make after you fluff the roll potentially, or pass it to a six. Is that and once per game or every? What's what's the? No, 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 no. It's, it, you can only lo- use lucky once per game. Once per game, right? Yeah. To change a single dice roll after you've rolled it. Yeah. To a six. Nice. So my my natural inclination is to either give them a stuff if if you know give that Orlok champion a auto gun with shock ammo, or give them a heavy bolter to just absolutely rinse whatever is in minus two cover on a guaranteed hit. But Dan took it one further and he was like, "Yeah, I can take a lucky road sergeant and give them a can of thread needle worms." Ah, yes because you've guaranteed a 6, okay, which means basically your entire enemy gang has to roll serious injury on every single ganger, and what, he, what Dan said to me was, if I get this, I can basically hold my opponent to ransom to let me win the mission, otherwise I will open the can of worms. <laughs> It
3: all comes down to kind of who draws first and quickly shoots that guy in the face.
1: Hmm. well not if he's hiding behind a wall at the back at the back of the board because there's no uh, range limit or anything. It's a guaranteed six. Um, and I was like, okay, hang on a minute. What's you know, the range on time? the thread
4: needle worms?
2: There isn't. Unless if you roll a I'm six, I'm six. it hits every enemy. File. Yeah.
4: yeah, it's yeah. Roll roll a six is roll a serious injury dice at every single enemy table on the. And every single enemy fighter on the table. Wow. Uh, treating out of action results as seriously injured. Wow. Okay. That... Yeah. And, and and say goodbye to all your friends. Yeah. Wow. Um.
1: So in our campaigns, because a lot of the illegal weapons are so powerful, unless a gang in our in the campaigns I run at Watford War Games Club, unless they have to be out um, outlaw like. Uh, chaos cult or ogrins. ogrens, ogrens yeah. don't have access to mo- most stuff chaos cult kind of suck because they're plebs
4: mm, true. um
1: yeah um i basically say look you're law abiding just to keep a lid on some of the really wacky cheesiness um so i said to him right if you're law abiding let's figure this out how you would actually get the thread needle worms in the first place i'm like right you need lead leaders to go to the trading post because you're at minus four Yep. you need three champions to go to the trading post with them, mm-hmm. and then you you basically need to roll a twelve, okay. And I'm like, okay, so your 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 default hanger on and down was like whisper merchant. I was like, yep, absolutely understood. So because the Whis- whisper merchant can take can change any post battle sequence roll to be a six. Yep. So then, so you're rolling two dice and you're hoping you get a six on one of those two dice, because the other one you can change to a six using your Whisper Merchant. Can Lucky do that? Sorry? Can the Lucky thing do that? No, 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 it's only during the game. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, But, you've basically got a one in three chance of rolling high enough on the rarity to then find the the uh thread needle worms but you need the leader and, and three champions to go to the trading post to do it that's doable it is that's the that's the scary thing mm. yeah i mean but... well, and, that's
0: quite easy. <laughs> and when he's saying holding it to ransom so it's essentially bottle
2: now and, and gtfo and or i open the can yeah pretty much I think we've we've had one previous dalliance with a thread worms, haven't we? He was Marcus. if Dixie can correct me. Was it was it not um Alec, um Is it Alec? I, I think it was Alex. Yeah, it was Alex It was
4: Alex, sorry. Yeah. He's, okay. he's yeah. yeah. Was was it? I think I remember he he rolled a six, didn't he? And he, did, he basically yeah. just flesh wounded a bunch of people and it didn't actually have anywhere near as dramatic an effect as he expected it to.
2: It's it's definitely as um, as Adam's described it, it's definitely the nuclear deterrent, right? mm mm-hmm.
3: Is it a limited item? Is it one use? It, yeah, use yeah. it's it's one, it's use, one use, yeah. use
2: only.
1: But do you want it? To so you know,
3: you almost way. need, you always need a player to call his bluff
1: and die horribly. Yeah,
3: <laughs> or not, or not. You know, it, you know, they could, they could have, you know, m- m- maybe they. I mean, they need you,
1: roll, know, you need you need
3: had, ha- had like three players on the battlefield okay. who were all Jews. Like, do your worst.
0: Go on. I now. mean, you need a six on that roll for the thread Needleworms worms to actually. Affect everything. I mean, the, the... but you're
1: ga- but you're guaranteed the six but, if you've got the lucky skill on Orlock character.
0: But aren't you uh, aren't you using that to hit? I'm getting confused here with what,
4: you, what the six is being used for. No, no, you can use the six so you you open, you open you open the worms and yeah. then you roll oh. on the table to see what it affects it. and I if you I'm get a six, it, it automatically hits every yes, single. Story, yes, I'm with it. you. Okay. Yeah, so if, if you don't, don't roll a six,
1: that, you go. Oh, I'm going to use lucky and get six. Thanks very much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've I've shot at all of champions with like a multi melter, and it's like, oh, because of all the cover and other stuff and armor you've got, oh, your you're, you're save's reduced to a six, and like, oh, he's got lucky. I'm like, oh, for God's sake, yep. six. yeah, six. So yeah, it's like the old, old
4: back Fate, back the only yeah. the only person it doesn't work for is Lucky Johnny. Yes, <laughs> <laughs>
3: who ironically never had access to that skill. No, he didn't. Have. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's
0: that is that that is a little bit um, cheese on toast. It's almost Matt Wardian levels of cheese.
1: I I'm just gonna say, and I'm I'm gonna put this out there to so the, the the community, the world. Okay. Um, it's mostly because my, my friend, David, who went to SumpCon recently with his enforcers and he played someone's uh, gang and they, they're they on a beautiful board, beautiful gangs, having a great game. And his opponent took Fred Needleworms and rolled a six on turn two. Ooh. And it was literally game over. Yeah. And I, and I said to David, I was like, were, were you not like slightly annoyed? Because, you know, you've paid quite a lot of money to go all the way to SumpCon. Some a kind of wonderful thing, wonderful experience. You do play random games against random people, and it's and it's wonderful. I mean, I've missed out on going, unfortunately. And I'd love We to tried
0: go. to go last year and missed out on the tickets. We 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 talked about going. Um, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, but I I just said to him like, mate, maybe thread needle worms just need to be like crossed off the list for any any day events or weekend events where people have made paid money to go for something because. All, all it needs is like on turn two or even turn one, somebody rolls a six and that's the end of your game.
0: So I suppose it's a little bit like well, the But the...
4: you say that, I mean it's not there's not that high you you're gonna roll a flesh wound for a lot of your game. You might lose a couple of fighters and you might have a couple of serious injury, but it's it's not automatically the end game. And they're it's only out there's... of action, they're not dead. Yeah.
1: But they're all seriously I was gonna say, there's only two flesh wounds on a on a dice. So the other four results are really
4: bad. I thought it was three flesh wounds,
1: no, no, it's it's 50
3: a 50, 50 flesh wound, one in six being an out of yeah, action. Yeah. So, three, so serious, basically,
4: three flesh wounds, two serious injuries, and an out of action, I think.
1: Yes, it's basically like right, roll essentially roll a three plus, the equivalent, and this guy's eating dirt, roll a six, he's dead. And and when it, it's it like, would be right, interesting
4: three, to see it used against um Ashway waste nomads because they'd get a five up save against it. Uh, it's not environmental. It is. Well, I would say it's environmental. It's worms. It uh,
1: Doesn't say no. <laughs> sorry, <the> worms <laughs> are pretty
4: environmental, aren't they? <laughs> that's
1: really, interesting. Mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's
0: just it's, it's a true. basic action. Can of worms. Basic action. That's mm,
4: yeah. That's uh, and it's imp- not. It's not specifically an attack from a fighter. No. Yeah. If, so if, I, if- I would class it as a as a, an environmental hazard
1: if if you're right for example like let's do some quick math quick math hammer right let's say your opponent you let's say you want to open the can of worms yeah your opponent's got nine fighters yeah statistically rolling on three plus equivalent okay six of those nine fighters are going to eat dirt
3: I, th- I think your math is slightly wrong because it's a 50 percent to serious injury.
1: oh it's 50 or, or worse
3: yeah it's, it's there's three flesh wounds on, on the dice Oh, so okay. you're so right. Yeah, it's it's four, four and a half. Yeah. Right. Okay. In that um, case, let's say you got. Te- let's so say it's the- not quite as bad as that, but okay, let's, you're let's right. Say, uh, what, statistically, your friend- one of them is going out of action at least. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not see. saying it's you know
4: it's it's going to be bad. It's going to be painful. Um, yeah. yeah. So let's say
2: they had eight but,
4: fighters, Four of those are going to eat dirt.
2: But it, I think you made a fair point, Adam. That it's it feels especially within that sump scenario or sump con situation. It feels like the quote unquote unfun option to have taken really. Well it's like the trap card, the trap tactics card that everyone bans Yeah. it's just horrid. Mm-hmm. The time to the one drop
1: who, someone falls down a hole.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The time to drop three on a uh, thread needle worms is obviously a multiplayer finale to
3: really upset everyone <gasps> oh, oh, oh. at the same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it almost seems like it almost seems like that piece of war gear needs a hard yeah. counter
4: as the defender during the knife edge scenario when everything's going badly,
2: I guess the hard counter, Lawrence, would be the early bird. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what a broom, yes. yeah, yeah, maybe the Sheen bird now suddenly gives you some kind of bonus against it or something. Yeah. Oh, here we go. That's the, that is a new custom tactics card, like Adam's been <laughs> describing this evening.
2: <laughs> the,
1: the early bird. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so should should sh- sh- should you should you use this in in uh, against a, a gang? Owned with a Sheenbird, then suddenly the Sheenbird automatically gets attacking against you before you can pull it. Yeah, its all the world I'd
1: I'm, I'm, say I'm very fortunate with my players that they know if they, you know, if they're doing something a little bit cheesy, I'll go and speak, speak to them and we'll try and figure it out. Um, but if someone digs their heels in, that bad things will happen to them yeah. um, via custom tactics cards from other players. Um, but then this is also why Dan came over and told me about it, giggling like he, I've come up with this thing. And I was like, and I just looked at him and I was like, and he was like, yeah, I'm not going to run it. I'm not going to run it. Cause he knows that the repercussions from running something this bad would be even worse.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, and the thing is, it seems so, it's one of those like oh yeah why didn't we think of that kind of you know because it's, cause it's not know, like, right? it's not like this massively convoluted this tactics card and this skill and all the rest of it it's just like lucky lucky bob and the can of worms it's like and you and i'm looking him here you got 45 credits illegal 13 and you kind of think to yourself well the way to hard counter that is a make them a lot more expensive and b, mm-hmm. you know uh, but again you, you're relying on that has to, it can only be done with Orlock because I'm guessing no one else can auto six something. I mean, there probably is some skill or something. Correct. You know. So it, it, it's an Orlock kind of special thing. But for an illegal 13 at <laughs> 45 creds, it's it's kind of a why wouldn't you do it? But for the fact that you don't want to be that guy.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the Lord Arbitrator will punish you for your uh, discretions. Yes.
0: But then again, there might be some people out there, you know, listening that kind of go, you know, the arbitrators like have at it, boys, let's see what happens, right? Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I suppose thinking about it in in terms of my campaign that's coming up, there is every possibility that people could pull those, you know, if they wanted to, if they got that level of stuff from from the, um, the loot. And then, so I need to think about, do i want you know what mm, 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 interesting interesting
2: wouldn't it wouldn't it be ironic if the entire cargo hold <laughs> was just full of thread needle <laughs> worms? Tins? yeah it's just like people throwing these <laughs> like a whole case of them like throwing them around well t-
4: technically your tables at the moment Lee, actually don't include illegal weapons they don't it was something
0: i was thinking about earlier when i was talking about it with ross of going i i want i i wanted to kind of include illegal because it sort of narratively fit fit with um, it, but then equally, is, mm, is that a sensible idea? Don't know. Thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> Do it. Well,
3: no, I, I think some of the illegal, in particular the ranged weapons, The some of the combat weapons are a bit out there, but some of the ranged weapons are actually quite interesting that are just awkward to take because they're so difficult to get hold of, yeah. like the uh, Kruk long rifle, a, a lovely weapon, but nobody can ever bloody take it.
4: I suppose the... Um... Well, no, Cruit long rifle isn't illegal. It's a Is rare it item, it was, I think. It's just...
2: No, it's it's only rare, but it's rare ten. So, for example, yeah, I've it's... I've looked at it for my outcasts, but it's no, just below the or just above the threshold for outcast leaders, unfortunately. Mm. So remember, yeah, remember we, so we, the, the original, well.
4: yeah, the the original table. Within the Book of Judgment is a mix of both rare and illegal weaponry, but because we've got our own trading post, obviously we've split them out so we have the illegal stuff is separate to yeah. the rare stuff, which goes back into the normal trading post essentially.
1: Yeah, the Krupp um, rifle is nothing to be too excited about, but the Harad rifle is rather tasty.
3: Mm. Yeah, the Rack Ghoul razor gun, again, that looks quite nice. The other thing to think
4: about, Lee, is of course, is what is the likelihood of there being. Illegal weaponry on an Imperial cruiser, None well, of that nature. Yeah, most That's... of it's
2: imported to Necromunda, not exported.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's good question. Don't know
1: yet. Yeah, I, I, I my gut feel is stick with the Imperial stuff and then you don't have to sit there for hours trying to figure out all the horrible cheesy things people might because of course the thing upon each other
0: the thing that immediately springs to mind as I as I'm flicking through Necrodamas looking at things like the chrono crystal uh yeah. vortex grenades come in, coming to play and you're like oh yeah vortex grenades so mm, this could be interesting <laughs> i'm about to open literally the can of worms right
2: <laughs> yeah but they, someone will have had to put a serious amount of that starting campaign dollar in in the bank in order to uh well, no, oh no, because they uh, won't have to just be rolling, won't they? Exactly. Oh Lee, what have you mm. done?
0: Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> doomed illegal. us all. It's illegal. Sixteen. So I mean, if I if I include illegal, then I mean, obviously, you know, I could have in uh, on certain tiers of like it only comes in right at the end, one of them per per thing. Then all of a sudden, someone goes, "Oh yes, I'll have the vortex grenade." Thank you very much, kind of thing, because it didn't cost
2: them anything because they just found one. It it would be nice to see one arrive at a table at some point. It's kind of funny. Not, not against me, someone else. It'd be with, funny with the, if somebody um,
4: found an entire crate of. I was
2: it's thinking of the, um, the
1: the bouquet of grenades tactics card as well. well yeah, exactly. That we have <laughs> talked <I'm, I'm> <laughs> about, talks
2: about yeah, that. I'm worried about an inadvertent spoiler here, Lee. But maybe that was the problem with the ship.
0: Well, possibly. Yeah. I mean, we someone someone opened up
2: the wrong thing, and all of
0: a sudden it crashed.
2: Yeah, there yeah, wasn't an engine malfunction. The entire thing was dragged into the warp and disappeared without a trace. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's um it's definitely something to think about. I mean, I I love the idea that the sort of of just I'm part of the you know the the um uh what's the right word the reason for doing it was sometimes we talk about that you know there are some um. Uh, campaigns or there are some fights that we have where you kind of think the you know that we shouldn't have these kinds of weapons you know there shouldn't be people walking around the underhive with a last cannon or a vortex grade because this isn't 40k and but then sometimes in my head i'm like oh it could be kind of funny to see that like you know if, if, if all of a sudden you have like gangs walking around with just ridiculous levels of weapons because so i sort of engineered it so that they could potentially do that
1: well they do manufacture them
0: well exactly but You know, it is still a little bit. You know, know, Dixie's. You know, been very much this whole. And I and I agree with it with this whole thing around. They are just a bunch of grunts that like pick up a spiky club and hit each other with it, really. And then occasionally you get you get to see someone who might have got something kind of cool. But you know, something you know, and I think it was in N ninety five where you quite often saw lots and lots of. Big heavy weapons, you know, the Vansar plasma cannon, and there was, you know, there was big heavy stubbers, big glass cannons, all that kind of stuff, gold plated last cannons, if I remember correctly. So, um, I, I kind of slightly rose tinted spectacles, heart back to, you know, let's just have a big old fight, a big old shootout. Yeah,
1: I, I was gonna say my my rose tinted specs are on now. Looking back to the great summer of Munda when I came back from my first year at uni, and me and th- three friends we played Necromunda every evening for a whole summer. Wow. And, th- and then we got girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all over.
2: It's so often. Just
3: to clarify, huh? one did not lead to the
0: other. The, the question you have to ask <laughs> yourself is, if you were playing Necromunda every every night during the summer, how did you get the girlfriends?
1: Oh, they, they were at our respective universities where we were <laughs> away <Right>. from home. <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't hmm. find out about the, the, the secret shame of... Uh, playing with toy
2: soldiers until later yes fair enough right well i think we're at risk of going down a, a fairly divergent memory lane here boys. yes yes
0: absolutely anyway yes uh, it's been i i I, th- I think that's it's been a fantastic episode and adam um thanks for coming on it's been phenomenal to
2: speak to you and meet you and uh i think everyone anyone else want to uh, say anything well, I was going to say, if if at the time of recording, Adam, you've got um, you've got a bit of a festive event coming up. So if you do want to plug that, do. Feel yes, free. please do. Uh,
1: yes. Um. So at Watford, Watford War Games Club on the 27th of December, which is a Wednesday, um, the club is open all day long um, from 9 a.m. until 11 p.m. at night. Um, a bunch of us getting together to play Necromunda. Unsurprisingly, uh, there is lots of other games like Forty K as well. If you fancy coming on down, we would love to have you. Fantastic!
2: What's the so. in terms of getting in touch with yourself for Watford Games Club? Is that where, where would you like people to head in, in your general direction? Um, well, the best the best way is
1: Facebook. Although you can Google us, Watford War Games Club. Um, and we do come up on the top right-hand corner in the little Google My Business listing. Um, but yeah, otherwise, Facebook is the place.
2: Fantastic. And before we sign off, we should just, as always, give a massive thank you to everyone that supports the the podcast, everyone that's listening out there um, in both hemispheres, as we touched on in the last episode. Um, in particular, a really big thank you should go out to the Underhive Law Keepers um, who were very kindly uh, putting us out there as one of the top four Necromotor podcasts in the world. So we'll take that, boys. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Not only that, we should just remind everyone that if you'd like to check out any of our unofficial community supplements or downloads or the Hive Dominion uh, app that Lawrence has created, head over to our linktree, linktree.com forward slash Radio. Or you can find Hive Dominion at hivedominion.co.uk. That's the right one, Lawrence, isn't it?
0: Right as
3: ever.
2: You're
0: getting exceedingly good at that. It's like a very radio-quality voice you have there, Ross. I was concentrating on getting all the words in the right order, if I'm <laughs> honest. <laughs> no, awesome. Well, um, I, think, I think we we probably bored you for long enough so we, thanks very much for listening everyone and for those that have listened that long we really thank you and we really hope that you've uh, enjoyed what you've heard and I'm going to say bye from me and have a great gaming month. Have a good one. Bye, Cheers everyone. guys. Take care. Bye bye. Take it easy guys. Bye. You've been listening to Gilders Board Radio broadcasting live all across the top, the high outlands and the far reaches of the athletes.